Everybody, James Bond, Daniel Craig, and fans of movies in general to another episode of Double Oz 7, the formerly number one uh, James Bond podcast in Australia, but I believe we're number two now, because uh, apparently there's been another one that's come about since, and because nobody really listens to us, and I think one person listens to theirs, they're more popular than us. So, hello to uh, everybody out there who has uh, decided to listen to this one as we get into episode 34, a continuation of our episode recaps, and we are here to talk about one of the films in the James Bond series, Quantum of Solace, the 2008 Daniel Craig film, the second Daniel Craig Bond movie, and uh, a title that I would love to get to the end of this episode and work out what the fuck it actually means. Uh, but uh, before we do, as always, we, we need to introduce ourselves because it's, it's been a while between these, so you might have forgotten who we are. So my name is Ben, and a special note to my co-hosts on this episode that if they do fuck up during this episode, they'll both wake up with their balls in their mouth and a willing replacement standing over them. <laughs> and I'm Colin, and if you've been wondering where we've been we were podcasters on sabbatical who just won the lottery <laughs> uh, my name's noah and i'm really really excited for this episode because oil finger is possibly my favorite james bond sequel ever so let's get into it yes um a lot of mixed feelings on this film <laughs> coming into it because um i feel that noah and i talked a lot about our kind of different tastes towards the Daniel Craig era and, of course, Colin uh, really on the opposite page. But th- this is a film that um, is universally, I feel, considered one of the worst of the James Bond films. And um, it's it's really going to be interesting to hear each of our opinions because I think I personally am not a huge fan of this film. Um, it's It's kind of interesting on this watch. I didn't think it was as bad as the last time I watched it, but I still don't think it's a very good film. Um, and I just come into this one really thinking that this is maybe the least Bond-feeling film out of all the James Bond films. It's There's so much about this movie that just isn't a James Bond film, and we talked a lot about this, I feel, in Casino Royale with my personal issues with kind of Daniel Craig as Bond and, and this new reboot and everything along those lines, and... It, it was just strange kind of watching this and still thinking of all the things that are missing. And I remember seeing this film um, from the cinemas and thinking like, well, actually, that was a pretty good film. And I, for a very long time, didn't realise that this was a fairly disliked James Bond film. So um, having said that, I hadn't really watched it too many times over the years. But kind of the more I've watched it, the more I've realised how kind of crap it is. But um, yeah, it's... I, I'm really, in a way, looking forward to talking about a film like this, particularly with someone like Colin, because I know Colin um, has some things to defend about this film, which will be interesting to hear about. But, um, yeah, p- from a personal standpoint, not one of my favourites and probably not going to scrape out of the bottom fuse unless we decide that Dominic Green can save this film. <laughs> Said no one ever. 
I love how you just set this up that I loved this film until I heard other people hated it. Then I'm like, no, no, that's not right. <laughs> Bear Mortimer follows trends, all right? Um, <laughs> Very sweet by Dino the Trolls. <laughs> you hit um, <laughs> Yeah, it, it's interesting because I, I know in our setup for this at the end of Casino Royale, um, Noah, you were saying that we'll probably end up agreeing on everything in this movie and just taking a different point of view on it. And that's I think that's pretty much the way it's going to go because... I have a lot of defenses for this movie. My defense is being that people are viewing this too harshly just because it's preceded by Casino Royale and followed by Skyfall. And even you could say, you know, the strength of Spectre compared to this. But, I mean, every Bond actor, I believe, has had a movie worse than this. Um, Pierce Brosnan had a worse movie than this. <laughs> Timothy Dalton had one worse than this. Um Ooh. Roger Moore had one worse than this, and Sean Connery definitely had one worse than this. Uh, there are real problems with this movie, and uh, well, all but Lazenby. Um, <laughs> that man, perfect, perfect man, I just say <laughs> perfect score on Lazenby's behalf. That's right, Lazenby tomatoes, uh, ten out of ten. <laughs> um, but I think the thing that should be forgiven about this movie is that all of the issues come down to one thing, and that's they were over ambitious with the editing. They had a lot of strange editing choices that were probably experimental and didn't really work. But unlike a lot of other bad Bond movies, there is a very good movie buried in here. Um, there are some really interesting ideas in the story that uh, didn't get a chance to shine because they rushed the movie. And there are some really interesting characters that didn't get a chance to shine because they rushed the movie. And overall, I just think that almost every issue will come down to that um i still think that this is an enjoyable movie whereas there are others that are aren't but there are some real problems and i'm gonna have some interesting arguments for both the positives and the negatives on this but i just want to say right up front that even though the lead actors really don't shine in this movie i think there are some smaller supporting roles at least three small supporting roles that i absolutely love in this movie and uh, i'm more excited three yes <laughs> there are three really strong supporting i, some I them... too was thinking three <laughs> <laughs> so, some of them i may be laughed at for loving some of them i might not i can see I one i hope you're counting m and tanner um <laughs> no i'm not even counting the return m, tanner and felix yeah, but uh, some of them don't get enough to do in this, and I think at the same time, other some of the other supporting characters work just because they aren't given that much screen time, and you not don't have a chance to get sick of them. But this will be an interesting one to talk about all around. Clearly, he's talking about Mitchell as one of them. I, I yeah. <laughs> and Italian man in the back, third from the left. And yes, Granny upset about losing her cherries. Lazenby's <laughs> <laughs> cherries. Um... <laughs> Yeah, if one of those supporting characters is Gregory Beam, then we really are having Oh, it is! Opinions. No, I'm not oh, kidding! No. Beam, I love Beam! <laughs> Mr. Beam! Wow, I knew we were going <laughs> to... I knew we were going to be having disagreements in this episode, but this is just going to be taken to a new level here. Um, if if you're going to be defending Gregory, Mr. Beam... Um, oh, Beam! I thought it was Bean! Oh, shit! <laughs> Gregory Bean. I honestly thought Have you honestly been Bean. You've honestly been thinking Felix's boss was Mr. Bean for an hour and forty-five minutes. I've written Bean in my notes. 
<laughs> that would be a better film. Get Nigel Small Fawcett back for this film, and then I would like this. Whoops. Jeez. Um, yeah, I don't know where to start. I don't think I can defend a single scene of this film. Um, t- I'll try. I'm not going to just purposely be negative on everything. I'll generally try and look for some good things, and I think there is one supporting character which is good. Not great, but good. And I think one of those three is the same one I'm talking about, and it's not Mr. Bean. Um, (laughs) (laughs) um, Yeah, I guess we'll just get into the film, but I I haven't liked this since the day I saw it at the cinema, and I only saw it once, and I did not come out of it impressed. Maybe part of it was coming off Casino Royale. Um, I think that's a valid point. Um. But yeah, as I said in the last one, I think this is generally considered the worst, but I think there's kind of been a bit of a resurgence around this film. I think people are now going now starting, it's a bit of a trend to say that Quantum of Souls isn't that bad, just something I've noticed a bit. Um, and I think they're being generous. <laughs> I, I truly believe this gets more credit than it deserves because it is a Daniel Craig film and it's newer and it's so much easier to pick on... Diamonds are forever because of its bad effects. But uh, so the, the effects of this is not bad. Like this film, like the action sequences, although I don't think they're done well, like they still don't look bad. Um, they look similar to Cinderella, which was good. They just edited very weirdly for some reason. Um, but yeah, I won't be defending much of this. Um, yeah, never like this. It's the furthest away from Bond, maybe even more than Licence to Kill. And I guess we should also point out that this film did come out around the same time as the writer's strike. And I think, unless I'm completely butchering my history here, I think that had a lot of reasons why this film had issues. Um, I yeah. think there's the famous story that Daniel Craig and the director or something were writing the script on the set and stuff like this. I'm not sure how much of that is true. So there are reasons why this film doesn't work. That's probably not the only reason, but there are reasons. But at the same time, reasons don't excuse things. They just explain things. So, yeah, let's just get into the film. <laughs> this is an interesting one. I'll try to be nice. <laughs> well, it's, it's interesting, actually. I'm just reading here that apparently even the title of this film was only... Uh, chosen a couple of days before its announcement. Um, so, even That's then... That's true, is it? Well, I'm just, according to IMDb, um, the film's title was selected only a few days before its announcement on 24th of January 2008. Oh. Um, I just, I mean, I, I know um, it's, what, the title of a short story um, yeah. from uh, from Ian Fleming, but... Which has nothing, no similarity. Well, I, I just, I honestly, and I, it may sound like I was joking when I did the introduction, but... There are some Bond films where you look at the title and you can generally work out what they're trying to go for there. Quantum, okay, it's the name of the organisation, but like Quantum, I, I, I just do not understand the title of this film at all. Quantum of Solace. There's no reference in the, like, it's not like we've got a, a you know, it's a Quantum of Solace, like a Mayday moment in the film to get it in there somewhere. But um, well, even, even the song, it, like... <laughs> could it be... Again, it's just gobbledygook that they used the word quantum because it was in the Fleming title. But I've always thought that maybe it's referring to the final scene where he gets a bit of closure and he's got just yeah. a small fraction of solace. But 
Yeah, I agree. It's this, a dumb okay. title, but yeah. again, this is where I'll be defending the movie just because I think there's a little too much criticism. Because that's the argument I always hear from people: "What does the title Quantum of Souls mean?" Somebody explain what Tomorrow Never Dies means. I'm with you there. I agree with you. I I don't like the title of that film either. It, well, you can come up with any Bond title: "A View to a Kill." Well, if we don't have that one line in the movie, what does it mean? You know, if 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 thunderball wasn't mentioned once as the operation title what does thunderball mean i mean i think it's in any if anything it's more of a bomb thing to do to come up with a title is it a great title no but at least it's a bomb thing to do to have a title that doesn't really apply to the movie well i can forgive it just because and it's something that i'm still to this day pissed off they didn't include i get that skyfall was a 50th anniversary thing i just like it because they're using the fleming title and I really think every film until they've used all the titles up should be Fleming titles except for 007 in New York. Um, <laughs> but I know not everyone will agree with that because I don't think people like the remaining titles. And maybe we're talking about this in our book one. But what? yeah, I, I truly believe every single film should use up the Fleming titles until they're all done. It pisses me off it hasn't been used up yet. Well, I'll be 100% honest with you. I didn't even know this was a Fleming title until about, uh, what, four months ago when, Noah, you took a shot of all your uh, books that you owned. I'm like, ooh, pretty books. And then I saw the one with Quantum of Souls on it. I'm like, what? You're like, yeah, it's a short story. I'm like, oh, okay. So, Did you uh, not reach that page in the James Bond encyclopedia yet? <laughs> I didn't own it at that point. So. <laughs> um, you didn't own it until five minutes ago when you said he, <laughs> you first learned it was a title? <laughs> Uh, what did I say? I meant four months ago, not five. Whatever, whatever I said. I don't know. Um, yeah, had... it's, there's no similarities from memory. Okay. There's nothing that's in the short story. The quant- that... Well, to be perfectly honest, the Quantum of Solace story, it's not even. It's probably your least James Bond story of anything. It's James Bond at a dinner party, just watching everybody else and kind of observing the way people are. <laughs> that's all the story these. is. Isn't yeah, there's like no spy aspect at all. It's it's. It's him watching people at a dinner party. That's it. Yeah, we, we need the big debate. What is worse, uh, Quantum <laughs> of Solace at the dinner party or 007 in New York, which includes scrambled eggs recipe within the short story? <laughs> do, they ex- do they explain um, what's it called? The card game Baccarat for like 10 hours as uh, well? Thank or- <laughs> Anyway, Com- that's coming the from book the book. guy who had an orgasm when Bond made a quiche, you're complaining about the scrambled <laughs> hey. egg recipe? <laughs> hey. We don't joke about the quiche. That was good times. I was just like, Ian Fleming's James Bond has really jumped the shark when they're talking about how to make scrambled eggs. Like, will he survive? Um, well, but yeah, book episode. A couple of things to mention, of course. Um, first um, direct sequel, uh, I guess it's been billed as, uh, of a Bond film. Or is Colin. it? Well, Colin's got something to mention about this, but I'm, I'm actually honestly intrigued to find out about it. But, of course, when we get into this, I mean, it's, what, set minutes after the end of Casino Royale, um, which we'll get to. First time we've had a Bond movie within two years of um, the previous one since the world is not enough, so a fairly short release period. Um, since a be- few films ago. Well, I mean, we <laughs> had a four every year- film ever. <laughs> we had a four-year break <laughs> between Die Another Day and so it's been obviously to get two films in the space of a few years was good. And um, another new director, um, uh, our first German slash Swiss filmmaker, best known for his classics, uh, The Kite Runner. Finding Neverland, and of course the film which I know Colin has in his DVD shelf, uh, the Academy Award-winning film from Halle Berry, uh, Monsters Ball. 
Um, so I hate finding Neverland. <laughs> I hate yeah. Monsters Ball. It's boring. Can I, can I seriously? I just want to just come out here right now and say, how the fuck does Mark Forster get to direct a James Bond film with a resume that reads like that? <laughs> Well, let's not get into Lee dresses a woman, Tamahawky. Yeah, at, at least bloody Once We're Warriors had a bit of violence in it. Like, is it Finding Neverland? Like, just Finding Neverland. Peter Pan. Oh, yes, he'll be perfect. And Monsters Ball, James isn't it Ball. just Halle Berry has sex with Billy Bob Thornton? I mean, isn't that why she won an Oscar? I've never seen it. So this is why I'm asking the question. Billy why? Bob Thornton is isn't he? a monster. <laughs> Who is he? <laughs> Yeah, who is he, Mark Forster? What gives him the right to direct a James Bond film? Like, well, Col- in, all, in all honesty, it's easy to say that now, but what does Sam Mendes' resume read pre-Skyfall? Road to Perdition, American Beauty? <laughs> but Road to Perdition is still like gangsters and that. It's not Peter frickin' Pan. <laughs> yeah, well... <laughs> if anyone has watched the video on YouTube of the uh, of the Honest trailer for Skyfall, and they actually say that, like, from the director whose most famous scene is this, and they show the plastic bag scene from American Beauty, so... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, he directed to... Henry 4 Part 1, Henry 4 Part <laughs> 2, and Henry 5. <laughs> and Spectre. <laughs> Um, okay, I'll address Mark Forster really quickly because he's not a bad director. Um, he has gone on to do World War Z, which I'll argue is a way worse movie than Quantum of Solace. But um, he's not a bad is... director. He went on to direct a movie worse than this <laughs> film. But but some of his previous movies in this, like Stranger Than Fiction, was a really interesting movie. But overall, yeah, I can understand getting him to do an action movie was I think the issue with this because I don't think he knows how to film action that well but overall it's I think it's at least promising that they were going for an Academy Award not necessarily an Academy Award nominated director I don't know if he did get nominated for Finding Neverland but a guy who had made several yeah he had at least made several Oscar nominated movies so they were really upping their game getting directors for this and if they had never done that they never would have led to Sam Mendes after that and of course they never would have led to all the other great directors for James Bond 25 and 26 that we saw. Did they approach Um, Martin Campbell for this? No, you know it's funny because I don't think they did but I do remember that after, before Quantum of came out they said, we asked Mark Forster to do Bond 23 but he turned us down so can you imagine (laughs) you know if if this had actually happened, like they were offering it to him before the movie was even released, and of course the movie went on to make a fortune, so they would have obviously kept to their word. Although, but... in fairness, Bond twenty three was not supposed to be the fiftieth anniversary film. It was supposed. Yeah, to be that's right. They had they had wanted it to but be Bond still. But yeah. Either way, Mark Forster became, after everything that happened with this movie, now looking in retrospect, he became the first guy that they were happy enough with that they wanted to offer him a back-to-back movie, which they didn't do ever. So that's uh, something interesting to note, at least. I'm going to address the whole idea of the direct sequel here, because I did say I had an argument for it. And I think I was on board with everybody, even in the last episode, I was on board that this is a direct sequel, and I kind of liked that idea. I watched it this time trying to find a direct sequel, and I don't find that. I think that the only thing that ties this together is the last scene of Casino Royale, which really, if anything, I think that last scene of Casino Royale is, more than anything, a jump forward into the opening scene of Quantum of Solace. Because 
I always felt like even when there was just Casino Royale and I didn't think there would ever be a continuation of that scene, that that felt like, well, this is two months later, Bond's been on a mission for who knows how long, and this is what's happened. I think all of us know at this point that the original idea for Honor Majesty's Secret Service, at least that Peter Hunt had, was that they would have ended the movie at the end of the mission, or maybe with the wedding, and Diamonds Are Forever would have started with Tracy's death. And who knows, maybe we'll get that in Bond 25 with a different character, but that's not a direct sequel. I think the end of Casino Royale sets up the beginning of Quantum of Solace. More than anything, I think instead of Quantum of Solace starting five minutes after uh, the end of Casino Royale, I feel like the final scene of Casino Royale starts five minutes before the beginning of Quantum of Solace. And even aside from that, it's very easy to get distracted by the whole thing with Vesper, but I kept looking for mentions to Vesper in this movie, and the majority of the time when Bond's talking, I mean, even when he's talking to Camille later on, He's talking about, oh, I need to catch these people because they, they tried to hurt a friend of mine. He's referring to M. Vesper's referred to twice throughout this movie. I think three times in the entire movie do they even mention Vesper's name. And it's only one mention each time. The rest of the time, Bond's on a mission that has to do with this. It has to do with the quantum organization and them trying to kill M. And that's what gets brought up more than anything. So maybe a small mention of Vesper, but... That Even that last scene of Casino Royale, I feel like that's the start of Quantum, not the start of Quantum is the end of Casino Royale. I think that's a compelling case. I agree with most of it, but at the same time, maybe not a direct sequel, even though it is five minutes after or whatever, but it is very much a sequel. If Casino Royale was the first ever film in this film series... This is definitely a sequel rather than a From Russia With Love, which was just the next one, only connected by Sylvia Trench and so forth. But Could we say, though, that with at least the Blofeld character and the Spectre organization, that those 60s movies have more connection than this does? Because, no, yes, no. we have... Well, we have Mr. White in two scenes here, but we've never heard the Quantum organization. It's a very interesting scene when they start off. This is getting ahead, but when they're even saying you don't know anything about us, you don't even know we exist, and that's true, because everything we learn about Quantum is... When this movie starts, all we know is that he captured a guy from Casino Royale, and everything else we learn about this story is introduced in Quantum of Solace. It is an extremely loose connection to Casino Royale. Well, it's not that loose, because it's more building on what we've learned from Casino Royale, as if Casino Royale was episode one of a TV series, and then this is episode two, I think it's very much tied, but at the same time, I definitely see what you're saying. People kind of build it to be this direct, like, as if we're picking up where we left off and continuing directly. It is its own thing, but I definitely see a lot of connections to it, and it's definitely not an original story. They're building upon what they set up, and nowadays we look at it, and maybe the reason you have this viewpoint now could also be the fact that we have four of these films and all of them are tied together now. Like, you could argue Spectre is a sequel to Quantum of Solace now. You could um, argue Spectre has more connections to Casino Royale than Quantum yeah. of Solace does, too. Well, apparently yeah. Blofeld was here the whole time, but you never you came across <laughs> me, but you never saw me. Um, it's it's fascinating, because I, I, I keep going back to... I'm, I'm pretty sure it was Colin who first brought this theory up, and I apologise if it was you, Noah, but, of course, looking at these Craig films as how it was kind of like... Um, 
you know, you had Doctor No being Casino Royale and then Quantum of Solace being From Rush With Love and you kind of had Skyfall as that middle one like Goldfinger that didn't have the connection and then, of course, Spectre kind of being that one going back into Thunderball that had the connection. Um, and I think having seen Spectre and knowing what happens in that with the connection with Quantum and everything in all the Craig films, it, it makes this viewing quantum a, a whole lot different now i believe i don't know if you two found that but um, well i actually didn't find that i yeah. i have issues with the specter oh we're all connected and i try to i no i just i think that was really lazy inspector and i just don't see it here yeah, I, I agree i i didn't really i i kept looking for that i kept thinking this would be something like you know, when I remember after seeing The Phantom Menace, watching episode four for the first time and just viewing Darth Vader differently and making all those connections every time a Star Wars movie comes out. And I kept expecting that watching this this time, but I really found nothing that I felt tied this to Spectre. I think, I think the real one I'll have is when it comes to Skyfall, because I think we all had issues with the fact that they tied Skyfall into Spectre. Um, and I didn't really have too much of an issue with this movie, given that I mean, Quantum essentially is. Don't we discover so what? It's it's a it's a section of Spectre. Is that basically what it is? I don't think yeah. we really know for sure. Do we? <laughs> it's just like, well, they show the diagram in Spectre of the whole octopus thing, and that's yes. basically how it works um, without Dominic I, Green. I will say I, I agree with <laughs> I agree with some of the case that it's not a direct sequel, and I think. We can view that, but at the t- at the time, I will say I was very disappointed by how it picked up five minutes later. But you have to also look at it that we had never had anything at all. Like, yeah, the sixties ones were kind of loosely connected through Blofeld, but we'd never had something like th- uh, you only live twice didn't pick up five minutes after Thunder yeah. or anything like that. And but if we yeah, I, but yeah, that annoyed me when I watched it at the cinema the first time. If we go back to Peter Hunt's original idea, what if Peter Hunt had done that? And we have the end of Honor Majesty's Secret Service with them driving away, and we start Diamonds Are Forever with them pulling over on the side of the road and being shot. I think that's a very interesting idea, and I would have loved to have seen Diamonds Are Forever start like that. Hmm. It's, it's Oh, a- I'm with you. Yeah. But it didn't happen. I, I kind of like your theory there, Colin, about you know the end of Casino Royale mainly being the start of quantum and that's a good mm-hmm. way of looking at it um but it's it's just kind of like what Noah was saying i mean i remember going into this knowing that it was literally set like what five however many minutes after the end of casino royale which um yeah i mean it's it's well i didn't know that so i was like what 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 mm. well it's, it's interesting we'll get into the start of the movie now because um again we don't have a gun barrel sequence <laughs> um but- well can we talk about that pissed me off I know, I think, Colin, you kind of are fine with it. Pissing me off to this day. Yeah. It worked with Casino Royale not having it like that because it was a bit different here. I think it works worse at the end. I think it doesn't flow at the end. I think it would have worked fine here, and I wish they did it in Skyfall too. I I know some people are fine with it. I hate it. It belongs at the beginning. I'm sorry for being such a pain-in-the-ass traditional. I'm with you there. I No, I think it works at the end here only because what a terrible last scene that would have been if we didn't have something exciting like the gun barrel to end it off on. So, Well, let's just put the gun barrel in all of these scenes. That may help it a bit. I'm I'm the ultimate traditionalist. That I mean, I can see the argument where you're saying Xenero, I still think they should have had Xenero. But can I just point out, 
we the don't... ultimate traditionalist who loves Die Another Day. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Um, we we don't get the start of a James Bond movie here. We get the start of fucking Jurassic Park. Um, I'm waiting for the subtitle at the bottom of this screen as we kind of get that pan shot over the water onto this big green lush looking island, saying like Isla Sauna, 25 miles off the coast of Costa Rica. Um, and then we kind of get these weird shots of like cars and engines and vroom, 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 and we've got this epic chase um, going on. I mean, I actually quite like this chase. It's very short, just like this entire movie. This is the shortest James Bond film in the history of the series, for those who didn't know that. But, of course, um, we're essentially picking up uh, after Bond shot Mr. White, and he's we don't know yet, but he's obviously going to be found out that he's in the boot. And um, Bond forcing his way through a tunnel. Um, we are in uh, Italy, um, Lake Gardia. Uh, Garda, How do we sorry. know we're in Italy? Because we have the most ginormous text on the screen every <laughs> single time. We. Uh, How do we know we're in London? Because it's written on the freaking road. <laughs> this is a James Bond film. <laughs> we'll get to that. Um, it's not blue is the lesbian room. Some arty thing. Hey, arts in that movie is quite different. But um, yeah, we get this chase through the tunnel. Bond forcing his way through, crashing about. Um, cops are trying to chase after them, going through another construction site. Daniel Craig lights his construction sites. Um, we get the bad guys shooting at the cops, rolling down the hill, kind of a throwback to For Your Eyes Only as Bond has to avoid it coming down the hill. Um, and yeah, and it all kind of leads basically into Bond driving down a massive-ass tunnel um, when he eventually opens the boot and time to get out, Mr. White. Um, it's only a four-minute opening title sequence. I remember back in The World Is Not Enough, we were talking about the fact that they thought that the opening bit in the bank was too short. Well, I think this is shorter than that. Um, But overall, I actually quite enjoy this. The editing is strange, I feel. It's very close up in your face. I don't know. I haven't really seen many of uh, Mark's other films, but I don't know if he really likes this all in your face sort of style of camera work it's a it's a born thing they were definitely trying to imitate born a little bit more in this one but i do i do say like the the chase like i love that sequence and it was on in the trailers and it's always shown from this movie when he ends up um shooting that car and it goes off the cliff and the way it sort of crashes off the side of it right at the end it's quite it's quite good to watch and um just the stunt driving he's fantastic and it's the only time in this film that james bond drives a car that actually would pick up a lady and not just like a mum from the supermarket so there's something there as well um but yeah i don't really have a whole much else to add except what i said it's it's entertaining i it's a short one probably not top 10 but it's still an entertaining start to this movie yeah, I think we're all going to be saying the same thing over and over again throughout this, which, uh, again, it goes along with the complaint I have, but it also backs up my argument that there's really only one thing wrong with this movie, and that's the editing. Um, that's everything... the only thing wrong with this movie? Yeah, no, I think so. Yeah, I think that every issue with this movie comes down to the editing in one way or another, um, and that includes the characters, as I said earlier, and everything else, but... I don't think the editing here is at its worst because we're not yet at the point where they feel the need to cut away from action to people walking in the street for no reason whatsoever. (laughs) That's coming next. (laughs) This sequence is okay for that reason, that we don't have this awkward cutting back and forth. And I do think still, though, that everything happens a little bit too quickly. And the, the problem with this entire movie is going to be that you don't have enough time to process everything. And, you know, people always talk about how viewing audiences today don't have an attention span but 
I think this movie is evidence that people do have an attention span and uh, they they want a little bit longer to dwell on things than uh, than just you know let's throw throw a quick shot out there really quick because you have to slow this down to even figure out what's going on. I, one of, one of you said last night when they were watching it that you can't figure out what's going on in the action scenes. I'm probably stealing somebody's thunder here, but that's part of the problem here is that this would play better if you were watching it in slow motion so you can really gather what's going on. And I think Mark Forster, I don't know if he's to blame for the editing style of this, but but I think that if you do slow this down, he has some really interesting shots that he comes up with, particularly the car that spins off the cliff here. And every action scene is going to have some really great shots that I wish we could see a little bit more of. Uh, overall, I think that kind of ruins this opening sequence. It's an interesting car chase. It's nothing special. I think the Bond pre-title scenes should be something a little bit more unique. Um, and if you're going to have a chase scene, you better make it really good like the world is not enough. Because there's going to be other chase scenes to come along the way. The length of this doesn't bother me only because I think, again, we're coming off of Casino Royale, and I don't know what Casino Royale's running time was, but I'm pretty sure it wasn't over four minutes for the pre-title scene. Um, and we had a little bit less happening in that, so I don't really have a complaint as far as the length goes of this, but overall, it's not the best action scene in the movie, but it's <laughs> it's kind of adequate, I guess. Uh, that's all I can really add on it. Um... Yeah, this is probably my least favorite pre-title sequence. Um, like, is there a worse one? Cause I can't think of one off the top of my head that's worse than this. Um, For your eyes only. You only live. You only live twice. <laughs> uh, you only live twice. Yeah, that might be worse. For your eyes only. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's in the bottom three. <laughs> <laughs> It's, I th yeah, everyone's explained it. It's the editing here is like, it could have been a kick-ass car chase. Instead, it's just cuts of close-up of a black thing. It's like, I think that's a car. Uh, it's a black piece of metal moving. Um, and then there's just, he drives the car. We, we turn up, cracks the boot open. Uh, there's Mr. White. And there was, oh, is that it? Oh. Um, and then the, we have this weird pausey thing, like, what's with that? You know freeze how frame, it, yeah. <laughs> freeze, like, we talked about bad slow-mo man boobs, but now we've got freeze frame, we're literally stopping the film. Like, like in old sitcoms where they end on a joke, somebody's <laughs> yeah. mid-laugh. <laughs> and then the, that's the thing, it, it could have been a joke that he says, and then they freeze, like... James Bond is renowned for jokes, they could have put a freaking sitcom joke in there, a one-liner. Um, so yeah, they literally have to pause the film to make the film longer because it's already like 90 minutes long. Um, so that's just bizarre. Um, I won't mention it yet because I think there's something that could have been a better pre-title sequence for this film. But yeah, you guys have summed it up. The editing here is, it, it's a decent car chase ruined by just weird jump cuts and weird close-ups. And to me, it's not so much the length, it's the lack of things that happened in that four minutes, and then, oh, there's Mr. White, let's go into this dreadful song. Well, yeah. Um. <laughs> well, maybe not dreadful, but not good song. Yeah, well, maybe. Um, we then, yeah, go into the credits and a dreadful song. Thank you, Noah. This is interesting, because generally I've got a bad reputation on this show as liking the shit songs. Um <laughs> 
<laughs> I don't even Blood like Blood of your this. many reputation. I don't know. He's the ultimate traditionalist. <laughs> like this song. Um, I'll start with the song first because I feel I'll be kinder on the song than I will be for the actual credits. Um, Another Way to Die, the first and only duet in the history of uh, James Bond music, Jack White of uh, the White Stripes fame and Alicia Keys of fame of being Alicia Keys. Um, The key company. The key key company, exactly. Um, Yeah, I remember hearing this for the very first time. Uh, I was with my co-host at the time on my breakfast radio show at the time, and we just like looked at each other. What the fuck? That was fucking strange. And he really liked it and played it to death. And like, you know, it was kind of like at the time, like, yeah, okay, this is all right. But just over the years, it's just like, wow, this is ridiculous. And we talked about Sam Smith's kind of extremely high grabbing his ball singing. Like, this is just a screaming match. I, I can never tell listening to this song which one is Alicia Keys and which one is Jack White. I swear it's the same person. They both sound like a woman. <laughs> they both look like a woman too. Um, so it's... It's poor Jack White. It's, it's a rubbish song and... The, like, I don't mind some of the White Stripes stuff, and I think Alicia Keys has released, like, one good song. Um, <laughs> like, lyrically as well. Um, I know the player with the slick trigger finger for Her Majesty. That sounds just wrong. Like, Another lyric that's just gobbledygook, something spy, something, something. <laughs> yeah, a door left open, a woman walking by, a drop in the water, a look in the eye, a phone on the table, a man on your side, someone that you think that you can trust is just another way to die. That, that, I, that never phone the scene day was would cut come from the film. <laughs> Deleted scene. A Bond song's talking about a phone on the table. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it was a good scene. They cut it for time. And the film, <laughs> the film clip is just shit. Um, this song is ridiculous. Um, charting There's wise, a film clip? it yeah, of course there is. Um, it made it to number one in Finland. Oh, good on you, Finland, for making them feel special. It's the only place in the world it made it to number one. Except in Austria, it made it to number two. <laughs> Did Die Another Day go number one in Finland? That went to number one in Canada. <laughs> oh. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm moving to Finland. In Canada, this went to number 15, Colin. So um, you're okay. Made it to 29 in Australia and 81 in the US. Um, so, yeah, it's shit, even though it was nominated for a Grammy, but whatever. Um, <laughs> this title sequence, I'm saying it right now, worst title sequence in the history of James Bond. This is, <laughs> this is something that is created on MySpace or Tumblr. Like, somebody has just gone, <laughs> I like sand. Let's put pretty sand pictures up. Oh, there's a globe. Let's put some lines from a map. Some Ooh. flash game. <laughs> a silhouette of Bond with a gun. Or oh, we better put one naked lady in there. Oh, a bullet. And the type, like, the, the font of the, the text on the screen is something from, like, 1990s Windows DOS. Um, it's ridiculous. This is... Mark Forster's a traditionalist. Oh, a traditionalist of... <laughs> Not that I don't think he made it. But... Oh, shit. Like, no, I, I've got nothing to defend this opening title sequence. It's it's horrible. I, I just could not stomach watching it. Um, yeah, this is, this is where the movie, to me, is like, okay, this is not turning too good right about now. <laughs> Um, I'll continue not necessarily defending the movie, but defending it from being the worst ever, because uh, I don't think that this is any more dated than Tomorrow Never Dies graphics, and I definitely don't think that this is worse than The Man with the Golden Guns nothing happening on 
screen or Moonraker's absurdity. Uh, Dancing Supergirl on a spinny ball. <laughs> yeah, I guess that that one does that one part does save Moonraker even just for <laughs> Superwoman you know. flying through the sky. Um. But like, there's so many bad ones uh, in throughout the '80s. Octopussy and even for your eyes only the Shitty Easton one. This is not the worst ever. I don't think we need to go that far, but. It is definitely... The thing that bothers me the most about the title sequence is the overuse of Bond. Bond, you know, pops up every once in a while in these things, and it was handled really well in Casino Royale, because we saw him doing the fight scene, we saw him, you know, walking on screen in the end. Here it's just constantly... All the sequence is, is Bond and Sand Dunes. And Bond is always aiming, and as I'm watching this, I'm wondering... Why is he aiming at these sand dunes? Like, if they had had a couple of villains in the There's background... some Sarlax there. <laughs> Sarlax from Return of the Jedi. That would be a good ending when we get to the end with what he does with Dominic Green. And if we, when we go to Spectre, we're going to have, like, the giant octopus. Like, it's okay to put things like that in there, but it's just Bond aiming at sand dunes. Like, these sand dunes are really threatening Bond's life. I don't you know really why. really hate sand. A, you know, yeah, <laughs> the evil sand dudes were the better villains than Dominic Green. Uh, but yeah, that's I don't lie. Like sand, it's coarse, it gets rough, <laughs> it gets everywhere, it gets everywhere. <laughs> Not like Bond here, everything sand. is soft and smooth. <laughs> Hold me, uh, like you did on Naboo. <laughs> See, we're, we've we've got quotes from Attack of the Clones, and we're talking about Quantum of Solace. Oh. <laughs> oh, um. Hall of Fame definitely putting Geonosis in for this. <laughs> no, but yeah, I don't think it's the worst ever, but it's definitely not anything interesting. The song, um, this is not, I'm not defending the song. The song, I had the exact same reaction that both you and your host did, Ben. It is just weird. Like, the first time I heard this, I'm like, I have no idea what I just listened to. And. I, I think that between Jack White and Alicia Keys, I would rather hear Alicia Keys do a Bond theme because I think mm. that when I heard that they were doing this, I'm like, okay, that's an interesting combination. But Alicia Keys sounds like she would do a Bond theme. It's kind of like Adele, okay. at least whether you're a fan or not, it, it makes sense. And here we have Alicia Keys basically rap screaming with Jack White, um, <laughs> which is even funnier you know, when you watch the video, it's just, it's just them standing in front of sand dunes now. Yep. And they're, they're yelling in each other's faces. Get away from the sand dune! <laughs> the Sarlacc will eat you! <laughs> Big Bond, shoot them! <laughs> yeah, uh, the singing ruins this song because, the f funny enough, I will listen to this song quite frequently. Um, I often look up to see what the most played songs I have are, and this tends to be one of them, and I think that's because I would love this as an instrumental, and I thought that last night when I was watching this, uh, that the instrumental version of this is probably fantastic, and I know there's got to be one out there, and I can't wait to hear it, and once I do hear it, I'll probably never listen to the, the yelling one again, because <laughs> the instrumental part of this is fantastic. I love the horns, I love the guitar, the like, there's great music here and it's just if they had even written some singing into it i think it would have been an okay song but like you said it's just yelling in each other's faces no does not work uh i'm 
really lucky that the James Bond uh, touring show, the concert that we had here in Winnipeg, did not include Another Way to Die because we, that was a freaking encore. The encore was Another Way to Die. Oh my god! Oh, I felt so bad for you. Hey, you can't go home. We're playing an encore. <laughs> she played like what? Live and Let Die twice, and somehow this and snuck in there in the encore. She didn't do. Did bloody she have anybody? yell in the face of it was it just her doing both parts <laughs> she did the whole thing <laughs> yelling at herself just how a shut up you shut up you shut up you shut up our encore consisted of live and let die repeat and <laughs> another way to die somebody forgot there was an encore it's like we don't have any new material just do live and let die again oh then <laughs> With this and like gone like Skyfall, which at the time was like the main one everyone knew, I think. Why was that not our encore? That should have been the encore. (laughs) Bring underneath the mango tree. (laughs) We have all the time in the world. Anything. If you asked me to. (laughs) Um, No. (laughs) I don't know if you (laughs) have. finished column but i guess yeah, i'll go ahead yeah it's bad going third here because i don't really have anything enlightening to add that hasn't been brought up um i'm on the page for duet on wikipedia and it lists famous duets and this one's not on there but we have from 2009 alicia keys and jay-z mm-hmm. empire state of mind does she just do duets does, does she just like to shout at people well actually can i just <laughs> In all seriousness, if you've never heard that song, Noah, listen to her singing, and that backs up Colin's point in the fact that I actually think she'd be That's good, a good Bond theme. at singing. Well, not, maybe for Bond in New York, but um, for, for her singing in lit, like just as a singer, she's a great singer. So yeah, I like the idea that Alicia Keys just has this big ego that she has to get on other people's songs to shout at them. Um, I don't know what what could be a better theme from here. Looking at these. Don't go breaking my heart. Would that be a better quantum of soul? Uh, <laughs> under don't go pressure. Breaking my heart. Ebony and Ivory. That could be. Yeah, a- oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> Johnny Cash and June Carter. Any of these. Uh, uh, so yeah, I was under the impression, and maybe I'm wrong, but I was under the impression that the purpose of a duet is to at least have something different bringing to the table rather than people sounding exactly the same what's the point of even doing the duet why couldn't they just had one or the other um probably would have saved them a bit of cash or something so yeah i'm not against the idea of a duet for a bond theme um but it just does not work it fails on so many levels um yeah, they were, like, they were ultimately inspired by watching Sonny and Cher do "I Got You, Babe," and they're like, "That's what we need in Bond—a yeah. duet." Yeah, um, yeah, that's kind of surprising. It is the first duet, though. Um, yeah, it's lucky we didn't have uh, Sam Smith and Alicia Keys, uh, whatever that song's called, "The Writings on the Wall." Uh, Um, Falsetto screaming. (laughs) (laughs) No, I want to tell them how not to live. Um, My balls have dropped more than yours. (laughs) Alicia Keys has bigger balls than Sam's. (laughs) (laughs) Leave it at that. Um, Yeah, 
that's the song. I agree. I like. I, it's not my least favorite, just because I do like the electric guitar and the music. So there is some redeeming factors of this song. But then well, they do this weird stuff. What's with the down down in the middle of the song? It's not even a guitar solo. It's just noise. And then they go another way. Uh, shut up, my bang bang. It's oh, shut up. <laughs> It's a mess of a song. It's like they don't don't have a song. They just record a bit and oh, we'll put this bit here. We'll put this bit here. We'll chuck this here. It's not even a song. It's just a compilation of noise, um, which maybe is Alicia Keys' new album title. I don't know, but yeah, not great title sequence. Yeah, it looks like it's made by an eight eighth grader in photoshop class or something in graphic design course or something it looks horrible um it may be the worst one i might be with you there ben i think there's some good cases for some of the other ones that may be worse that were made there before but this is horrible this is daniel craig in cgi sand dunes shooting at the sand dunes the evil sand dunes um walking around lost in sand dunes so it's just disappointing coming off Casino Royale that they had to get literally everything worse than Casino Royale. They couldn't just have one thing that was better. This was their one shot. We're off to a good start with this film. <laughs> um, all right. Well, let's pick this film up a little bit more then. Um, well, we're well, halfway through. Well, <laughs> yes, <laughs> we pretty much are. Um so we are now in um, this underground lair, um, still in Italy, um, and we say hello to. How Mitchell. do we know we're in Italy? <laughs> we haven't seen writing on the screen for a while. Um, we get a lot of talking to Mitchell at this point. I wonder why that will be. I wonder if Mitchell will play into this at any point. <laughs> hello, Mitchell. Yeah, Mitchell. Mitchell. Good really? to see you, Mitchell. Been a long time, Mitchell. <laughs> hello, Mitchell. They just needed, they, they, he's really. Gone up in the world. Mark, the thing I needed to put massive writing on the screen, say, watch this character. He'll be important in a few minutes. Mitchell. <laughs> Mitchell. <laughs> um, but yes, uh, so they're interrogating Mr. White um, uh, about who he is, who he works for. <laughs> when, he's, when they say, you're going to tell us who you work for, is everyone just expecting him to go, Spector? Um, <laughs> I do. Well, technically, well, he does, exactly. Um, I, I really do... This is one of the few bits I quite like in this film um, when he sort of has the whole bit when he realises they have no idea who they are, when he sort of has that laughing moment and he's just sort of like, you really have no idea who uh, who we are. You don't know anything about us, do you? Um, and then it's kind of played off well. And then when he's like, we have people everywhere, am I right? And Mitchell, not Mitchell, he's evil. Mitchell, no! <laughs> I grew to trust you so much. I know, Mitchell, just, he can't be a traitor. Um, not after five years of Christmas presents from M. <laughs> <laughs> and eight years of service to Her Majesty's government. Um, is Mitchell Demby's brother or something then? Maybe we'll probably find that out in Bond Twenty Five. <laughs> was Mitchell next in line for M before Mallory? Because is that there's yeah, this long M. line of people who have to have hey, M's. There you go. That could have been devastating. <laughs> that's that's it. The, bo- Mitchell the Mitchell was Bob prequel film. <laughs> Why Mitchell was turned? We need to know about Mitchell's journey from Spectre to MI. It's um, important. But anyway, as we learned, Mitchell's evil. Um, he shoots a guard. He could have shot Bond. He could have shot M. 
but he shoots random guard. <laughs> Good job. Well, that's, that's where we get the scene job. where I have a bright spot. I, I came to love you, Em, but I just have to turn on you. Well, well, that's how we know that Blofeld really was pulling the strings. He, uh, he didn't want them dead yet. He needed to. Yeah. M needed to die in the next film. He promised Silver that he could yes. do it. He, Mitchell and Silver were besties. Mitchell and Silver show up to the Spectre meeting. Oh, Blofeld, I want to do it. <laughs> I want to no, do I it. Oh, I already promised Silver you can kill Security Guard 3. <laughs> <laughs> and I get to kill Bond. And not really are. <laughs> so anyway... Um, after the little uh, kerfuffle, M gets... Does she get shot or does she just get, like, pushed out of the way? I don't know what happens to M. She somehow <laughs> gets injured. <laughs> but this uh, leads... Mark she trips. She, she breaks a nail. Um, but this leads <laughs> on to a, a... Just as we're about to see her, it cuts away to someone in the street. Yes. <laughs> horse race. Um, M gets shot at, cut away, horse race. Um, and this chase, which I'm guessing is meant to be arty because it's corresponding with a horse race... <laughs> in the streets of Siena. Um, How do we the, know that? The big Siena Cup um, that's happening on the same day that Mr. White's getting... Where's Money Penny? Come on! Whatever she is. Come on, Wiggle! <laughs> yeah, gr- Granny Penny, where is she? Um... But yeah, this chase through, and um, there's we get random cuts of a woman crying because a horse won. Um, then... She was really important to the narrative. I'm glad we got a lot of close-ups of her. I, I think going back to what Colin said earlier about kind of influenced by Bourne because his rooftop chase and just running through everywhere. We get poor old little granny losing her cherries as they go up the building. And I've written here, I've, and apologies for my Italian, I swear she says, oh, my farto. Um, as she's all upset that her granny cherries have gone. Um, Wait, yeah, what? Granny's cherries have gone? <laughs> yes. <laughs> granny had a cherry popped. But, um, Jeez, this really the- is a bomb. <laughs> My name is Cherry Galore. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> as Mitchell's getting away, God, Mitchell's a good athlete and teach him well. <laughs> Bond's on a bus, and then he's up in the church things, <laughs> saved by the bell. Where was that line, Craig? Um, <laughs> running through, and they fall through the uh, roof, a fairly um, well-played scene, as we kind of see that shot of them falling through the glass roof. Uh, Mitchell, poor Mitchell, lands hard on the scaffolding, and this fight with the ropes, and then, of course, eventually Bond picks the gun up and shoots Mitchell, not me. No! <laughs> no! Not since Davidov's death have I felt this way. <laughs> but I think I think it was you, Noah, who raised um, uh, probably a couple of months ago that the the scene of Bond kind of shooting upwards. Not Mitchell. Um, I often I always thought too that that was the bit where it led into the opening credits or something like that as well. Like I, I forgot that that wasn't. I mean, that it be, should be. This should all shot. be the pre-title sequence, and yeah. I think the reason I thought that was. Um, what, Channel 7, Channel 9, whatever it was in Australia, they had a TV edit of it, and I think that's where the first commercial break was. I think that's why I have that hmm. impression. But yeah. this entire sequence is the pre-title sequence. That shot, turning around, killing Mitchell! Mitchell! That should be into the... That's the perfect lead-in, not let's freeze-frame opening the boot of a car. <laughs> and then uh, I'm just going to lump a bu- bunch of this together. Uh, Bond goes back. There's blood on the floor. White's gone. M's gone. 
Um, and somehow Bond's back in London because it's on the ground. Um, no, oh. when you went to London, was that just constantly written on the ground to remind you where you yeah, were? Yeah, they had London signs everywhere, and I hear in Italy they've got Italy <laughs> written all over the sky. Uh, and we're back at Mitchell's yeah, When apartment. you go to Bolivia, Bolivia, the words Bolivia are usually just hanging in the air somewhere above the sand dunes. Yeah, that's <laughs> kind of what they're known for. It's like when you go to Miami and you see that giant sign, like on a plane, welcome to Miami. Honestly... Yeah. Bring back the clash at this point. <laughs> wow. Wow. We have honestly come full circle that Noah is wanting the clash back. Oh, God. Happy days. Die another day is getting defended almost here. Um, but, yeah, we're in Mitchell's apartment. God, Mitchell's got a nice apartment. What a good a good man keeping a nice apartment like that. Yeah. Um, he gives charity too, don't we find out? I know. Good on him. And um, we learn a little bit more about the background of Mitchell, because that's what we want. And it's kind of <laughs> <laughs> the first point where Eben's really bringing up the fact that Bond has killed someone. And this is going to be a constant trope in this film, that Bond always just seems to kill people when Eben wants them caught. Um, and this kind of leads into a very fancy computer screen touchpad situation where they're talking about notes and connections and everything, which will lead Bond to Haiti. But we'll, we'll cut it there. Um, yeah, this chase sequence is interesting. Um, again, Daniel Craig loves to run and chase after people. This is a real thing of the Craig era up to this point. Um, and look, I'm just not going to mention Mitchell anymore because I'm, I'm with you, Noah, the most heartbreaking death since Davidoff. Um, and this, this computer technology... Like, Jesus Christ, I want some of that. That's awesome. That looks really cool. Like, the touch screen and the swiping and everything. Something from Minority Report or something along those lines. We just I need just like the therapy. idea that just as they're about to use the cool technology, it just cuts to a close-up of a woman gambling on horses with Cherry. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Anytime something important happens, it cuts to that woman at the horse race. But I do, yeah, I sort of mentioned I love... Sort of M saying, like, you have to kill him. And again, this is just a constant theme in this film. It's always like, Bond, you killed him. Oh, Bond, you killed him. We're about to see that in Haiti in a few moments. Like, he walks into a hotel room and within, like, a minute, this guy's dead. Um, so, yeah, and it's, this it's, guy got his license to kill only, like, what, a month ago at this point? Yes. <laughs> He's really abusing that license. And, and yeah, let's talk. Uh, let, we have to keep in mind everyone that killed all 11 people in Casino Royale, too. Yes. This is all in the space of his first month of being a double O agent. Sadistic prick. Uh, <laughs> I get uh, court martial. Yes, anyway. Um, hashtag rest in peace, Mitchell. Um, I have one good line here uh, in this whole sequence, so get ready for it. Uh, not necessarily a funny line, but a good line still when they're uh, talking about um, Le Chief and how he just kind of delivered the body and he goes if they wanted his soul they should have made a deal with the priest i like that line uh i i really like this whole scene here with uh mr white and the, the actor who plays mr white jesper christensen he's fantastic in all of these movies and uh he's like you said the, he's a kite dancing in a hurricane um <laughs> bang <laughs> Mitchell was uh, <laughs> the other kite that got tangled up in the tree and sadly had yeah, to be Yeah, Mitchell is a true true blue kite. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, it is so painfully obvious. There are good moments in this movie where one thing I really appreciate is that they did an interesting idea of hiding the exposition in this movie. And there's lots of good examples of that throughout that, again, are ruined by the editing. 
But this is one moment where it's so painfully obvious that Mitchell is going to be somebody. Who, Hello, Mitchell. Good to see you, Mitchell. Like it's it stands out in a movie where they won't allow you four seconds to process somebody's death. You get about four minutes to be introduced to Mitchell. You know something's up here. And the cherry woman. <laughs> and again, I'm going to be defending some of the editing here because they had an interesting idea with speeding up the movie. I remember even the first time I saw this, there were moments where I was thinking, wow, it's actually interesting how they're keeping the pace going here by cutting to certain things you know, earlier than they should and doing the, this back and forth uh, cutting from one scene to another. And usually it does work okay in this movie, particularly in the climax. But here we are constantly being shown this race going on. And all it makes me want is to see Bond in the middle of this. And I can't think of anything that would have made this chase better than Bond popping out of the sewer and having to run and being in the middle of this track and being trampled and, you know, all the people everywhere. But when we eventually do finally get Bond in the middle of this race that's happening, he's just in the middle of a crowd and you don't even see anything. Like, I want to see Bond in this location. That would make it so much better. And then for some reason, when this sequence is over, when they're out of the whole race area... They keep cutting back to the race for some reason. <laughs> and I don't understand that at all. Don't worry, it'll, it will play a part in the film later on. It's going to be a callback. No. It, well, every single time it comes up, it's just, it, it feels like a tease to the audience. Like <laughs> like Mark Forster is sitting there saying, we got a good chase boy going here. Here's James Bond, there's James Bond. No, just kidding, it's the race again. Mark Forster's oh, just Bond. a big horsey fan. We should mention horsey. <laughs> hey, horsies, they're back. <laughs> He did this all for Ben at whatever age Ben was when he saw this movie. He's like, we got a fan out there who wrote us. Remember when they wrote this and said that they want Jaws to be a good guy and Lewis Gilbert just said, all right, there we go. Little old Ben wrote and said, I want more horses in the movie. Maybe <laughs> Let's this, give this little Ben his dream. Maybe it was added in post. On, stop, stop. I'm 21 in 2008. <laughs> I think they added it in post. They're just, oh, no one's going to understand this film. Horses! More horsies! Look at the horsies! Wanna, I'm going to make my own edit of Quantum where at every moment of this movie we just cut back to the horse race for no reason whatsoever. <laughs> but, uh, I do want to say when we get to the scaffold fight that is a really good fight. And again, like everything else in this movie I wish it was a little bit longer but the scaffold fight's great and I said how Mark Forster has moments where he comes up with these really great shots and the shot where they, they fall through the window and the camera follows them through that looks fantastic. The shot, which again could be a little bit longer, where Bond, you know, turns, he's hanging on the rope, he turns up to shoot the gun. Great shot. The fight overall, I think, is fantastic. And I think it's it's sadly going to be the, the best fight of the movie. That's not to say that the other ones are bad, but I think when you have the entire climax revolving around two fights that are happening simultaneously, I think that they should in some way top this. But the staging of it's great, and... They could have done a lot more showing us this, but I still like the scaffold fight overall. Um, yeah, it is one of the better parts of the film, but I almost feel like this could have been such an iconic part of the film. It could have been the next parkour kind of thing, and I'm not sure if this will be in the Hall of Fame, although it might be just due to lack of choices, but um, it could have been so much better. Again, the editing, just cutting, and a, it needed to be longer. B, quit with the Forster cuts. Let's just call them the Forster cuts. Like, <laughs> it's just, I don't even know if he edited the film. He may have had nothing to do with the editing. We, of we the always film. blame the director <laughs> Actually, for the editing. 
Well, let, let's let's Slime get this out of the way forward. now. He he was involved in the editing process, but he only had five weeks to edit it, they said, whereas he normally has three times that amount. So there was a bit of a rush, as with everything in this movie. But then uh, it feels like he's gone to the extra effort of having the lots of little cuts. Like, it feels like he's gone overboard with it. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I don't hate the, the beam because it is definitely a more unique fight and it is kind of cool. So that's one positive, I guess, a small positive for this film. Um, again, get rid of the Forster cuts and make it a bit longer. It could have been so much better, but it is good. Um, the Mitchell stuff. Mitchell is an interesting idea, but they don't really expand on it. It's at the start of the movie... Mitchell shoots a security guy, third from the left, number three. Then, it's, I guess they're trying to tell us they have people everywhere, but then that really doesn't play a part in anything later on. It's just kind of <laughs> going to be a bit suspicious of everyone else now. Um, like, I want to see a scene where M has to go to the florist for Mitchell's family, and the florist, <laughs> yeah. like, he got people everywhere, and pulls out a gun and shoots a new bodyguard. <laughs> I want to see Anne when she's running her bath, like somebody just in the background going, man. <laughs> it's like, wow, you really are everywhere. <laughs> They're very literal, Quantum Slash Spectre. Um, but yeah, you mentioned the florist. That was one line I did write down. I thought that was the line you were going to bring up. I did think that was kind of funny. You know, that's just an expression. Florists use that. That's kind of funny. Which I, I do florists say they have people everywhere, but it is funny I've though. I've never heard uh, of it. Yeah, <laughs> that's Starbucks or McDonald's. Like, <laughs> I don't, don't know if they were allowed to have M say McDonald's. Say that. Um, I think a James Bond film lose a bit of credibility by mentioning McDonald's. <laughs> <laughs> McDonald's says that M goes to her desk and eats a Big Mac or something. Like that. <laughs> like, they were really lacking funding here during the writer's strike. But, I'll have a Big um, Mac, shaken, not stirred. <laughs> <laughs> I'll have a McFlurry. <laughs> I'll have a fillet of fish. <laughs> um, yeah, well, we've got Heineken, so maybe McDonald's will be next. But um, I don't know. Oh, the Mitchell thing. Yeah, like, why is she not suspicious of James Bond? He's just a new double O agent. Exactly. Why, why is She's she not like suspicious of <laughs> Like... She's had, she's had Mitchell for five years of Christmas presents. She's known James Bond for a few years, just promoted him and regretted it. And later and on, now, when he kills all those people in the elevator, I was like, I trust him. <laughs> he well, bashed off sure, all these though, MI6 agents. <laughs> when Mitchell is shooting at her and Bond is chasing him down, I think that solidifies the trust in him over Mitchell. Yeah, but he, he bashed up all them. these... <laughs> Yeah, double cross. Um, that's a spy thing, isn't it? To double cross someone. It's later on when she says, they'll do everything, anything for you, won't they, James? Well, clearly, you'll do anything for James as well, Judy. <laughs> oh, uh, surely they should be finding out that this is Bond's stepbrother running that. Shouldn't they be a bit concerned about that? That uh, James Bond's stepbrother is the one in command of Mitchell. Uh, does Mitchell know that? I wonder. <laughs> like, does Mitchell look at him and say, well, yes, you've never seen him, but you've come across him so many times. Um, but, yeah, 
they just did not expand on this other than a basic Mitchell betraying to show that they have people everywhere. Like, you'd think they would be a bit more paranoid after that at the old MI6. And also, why is M there? Why is M in Italy? Why does she have to be there? Um, that does not seem like something that would be a thing. Um, Didn't they learn from what happened in Turkey like, <laughs> seven years ago? She was freaking locked up in a castle! <laughs> Keep her behind the desk! Although maybe Silver shows that you shouldn't keep it behind the desk, but really nitpicking here, but still. Um, I wish they expanded on the the Mitchell thing a bit more. <laughs> like, uh, Mitchell dies, and then suddenly Bill Tanner's popping up everywhere. Like, she does she barely know him at all? Should she not be a bit more suspicious of Tanner randomly popping up after Mitchell? But whatever. Um, yeah. I, other than riding London on the road makes me mad in my notes i don't have much to add uh, yeah rope fights cool what's with the cutting to the horses come on. <laughs> big big fans of the 80s bonds when like you know they, they i just want to wonder fall off a cliff or... um that would have been <laughs> funny um so we're ever we're, direct this film. we're off to haiti um now i've always thought it was pronounced porto prince but they pronounce it something differently in this film so yeah um, Can you tell us what it is? I only watched this movie about three hours ago and I can't even remember. So don't ask me for pronunciation, Noah. Come on. Um, Porta. Porto Prinky. Yeah. Um, so he's in the Bond, ho- go to Porto Prinky. I don't know if that's <laughs> it. He's off to uh, Haiti to track down um, Mitchell's contact, Edmund Slate. Best friends they were. Went to high school together. They Not a suspicious name at all, Edmund Slate. <laughs> so Bond goes to the hotel, knocks for like a second, then you know, oh, oh, he mustn't be in. I better walk in the hotel. Um, casually walks around, and then oh no, he's got a knife. Uh, <laughs> fight just, oh, there's a guy attacking you. Oh, okay. I really would hate to be like room you near know, housekeeping for Edmund Slate's hotel rooms. Like you know, they knock housekeeping, and they come, and then he just attacks him with a knife. <laughs> Like to make it Ten housekeepers wife. had their throats slit. So. Yes, his wife's come for a surprise visit. Like, honey, <laughs> I'm here. Ah, stab, stab, stab. Um, <laughs> anyway, uh, Evan Slate dies um, in the fight. Jeez, but he was so important. They built up his character and how much of an important figure he was. I really want the Mitchell and Slate spin-off film. Um, just <laughs> they were stepbrothers. <laughs> yes. That, that, that does sound like a Buddy Spectre film, Mitchell and Slate. Mitchell I want to see Slate, our best of mates. Um, <laughs> they're yeah, they're uh, stepbrothers too. Uh, so Bond... Um, Leaves the hotel room, you know, oh, well, he just killed someone. Oh, well, but not tell anyone. Um, goes by the uh, concierge desk, asks for any messages, gets a briefcase, walks outside, up pulls up this shitty little Ford jelly bean car with um, this weird-looking woman. <laughs> <laughs> New Ford jelly bean. <laughs> um, we, when you talk about James Bond iconic cars, um, Quantumasolos doesn't really have any. Um, Oh, the first one. Was Your great. eyes only didn't either. Well, I remember the little the, Fiat the more than I remember the jelly bean um, car. 
But anyway, so Bond, <laughs> mean, but Bond um, ignores the first rule that any parent will teach you and don't accept a ride from strangers um, and basically gets into a car. Well, James Bond did not have parents because they were killed when he was young, Ben. So well, no need to rub it in. He had Blofeld's dad. Um. <laughs> and for at least the last eight years, he's had Mitchell at Christmas <laughs> as a good friend. Mitchell at, at Christmas, that sounds like a festive sitcom. Well, it sounds like a porno as well. <laughs> That's the, the Mitchell Christmas film. Mitchell I thought Christmas. Mitchell only comes once a year. Um, ben, so. we were talking about festive movies. You mentioned Christmas. I think of Denise Richards. Um, so... <laughs> I think oh. of Turkey. <laughs> yeah, that's where it was and set. Presents. Um, anyway, so Bond's in the car. With, we meet Camille. The the. Let's just put it out there: the worst Bond female possibly in the history of James Bond. She oh is, come on! The one that got away. She's a contender. She is a contender. Not even close. Oh, do you do not defend Camille? You defend. I'm not she's defend. not one of those three characters. Those mystery three is she? I'm, no, I'm, out. I'm But seriously, out. Jinx, Stacey oh Sutton. Oh my god, Jinx. She's yes. Suzuki. Well, Suzuki, maybe not. Um, but... At least she got with Bond. <laughs> yes. Anyway, so we're in the car. They're having witty little banter. Bond's robbing her handbag. Um, and then Bond opens up the um, briefcase. Bond's just a thief in this film. Um, and, of course, we learn, oh, no, that Slate was actually going to be killing Camille. Um, oh, no, not Slate, the murderous bastard. Um, Mitchell Wad, Slate! <laughs> I I do have to say I do quite like um, the little interaction when she goes to shoot him and then he gets out of the car and he's just like, well, that wasn't very nice. And then, <laughs> and then the motorbike pulls up and it's like, you were meant to kill her. Well, I missed. Boof, knocked I missed. him off the motorcycle. <laughs> I do quite like that bit. That's good. I'll give it props for that. But why does he get out? Because she, she just shot She's him. She's about to shoot him? <laughs> this is James freaking Bond. <laughs> He doesn't just run away from the fights. Well, if he doesn't have a gun to defend himself, what's he going to do? Throw Grab a her sack gun. Make papers at her? <laughs> Here, paper cut. Um, in the, oh, well, <laughs> I'm not condoning violence, um, but if she is like someone who is a bad guy, then you punch her in the face. I do like, have to I say. I love to have to set that up. If somebody's shooting you, I'm pretty sure you have license to at least punch them in defense. Yes, but you know PC people who think I'm going to mean something that I don't yeah, mean. Yeah, you might as well take the bullet to the face here. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's what uh, feminazis will want you to do if a woman is shooting you with a gun, Colin. I'm pretty sure they're more offended by the term feminazis than they are by defending hey, yourself. Hey, we, we live gun. in a day and age now where you can't even comment on a reporter's eyes without getting a $10,000 fine. So um, I think Noah's comments are going to be worse than a $10,000 fine. Anyway. Look, if a woman is... Sh- uh, let's just move on. <laughs> I just want to say, with the violence thing, I wanted to bring this up before, because I like here on Wikipedia, it says here, the film was also marked by its frequent depictions of violence with the 2012 study by the University of Otago, <laughs> New Zealand, finding it to be the most violent film in the franchise. Whereas Dr. No featured 109 trivial or severely violent acts, Quantum of Soul had a count of 250, the most depiction of violence of any Bond film. W- w- how do you count? Goldeneye blowing up an entire silo of people or 
license to kill putting someone in a gas chamber blow up thing <laughs> yes the, this the, the university of otago i think new zealand have only seen about half of the james bond yes, films professor so. lee tamahawki <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> it's the greatest He'll film on the hospital of new zealand sex. cinema <laughs> lesson sex violence in quantum of solace <laughs> by professor lee tamahawki Oh, goodness. Anyway, so um, Camille is annoyed that she got <laughs> shot at. So what's the first thing she's going to do? I'm going to go track down the guy who just tried to kill me because um, maybe his guys won't try and kill me when I arrive uh, or turn me into a sex slave for the upcoming president of um, Bolivia. Um, I love how she pulls up at the gate and the massive Ford logo just happens to um, or jelly bean <laughs> turn up in the shot so uh yeah anyway camille goes up we meet um well <laughs> we meet mr frogman mr rat uh, <laughs> dominic green so unmemorable as a bond villain that even in a movie in a few years time that will reference everything to do with the craig era he's not even referenced at all <laughs> poor dominic green um, so we learned that, uh, yes, he tried to have her killed because he had heard that she was trying to go against him and blah, blah, blah. Are you trying to explain the plot of this film? <laughs> the whole plot, yeah, whatever. Um, anyway, in the meantime, Bond's on his little motorbike, um, doing laps of the, um, the port here. We see angry man with a gun, um, who he eventually hands a card to for Universal Exports. Um, which I quite like. That's kind of cool. That's and then uh, the we, what's that henchman's name? He's in it for so long. Does he have a name? Elvis. Lloyd Elvis. Christmas looking guy. If uh, he is in your three, Colin. I hang up. No, on he's the not spot. in my three. Elvis. Elvis. His actually name is Elvis. Is it? Yes. Yeah. Well, I, I definitely. I don't think it's said in the film. He he reminded me a lot of the the king of rock and roll. Um. Anyway. <laughs> Um, yes, and Camille at the same time, um, is yelling at Green and we see a body in the water and then Green meets, uh, dictator, rapey man. What's his name? I don't, I don't even know. Oh, that's General his name. Medrano. You got it in one. Ben, did you watch this movie? <laughs> General no. Medrano. Medrano, yes. Okay. You're okay, watching it on silent right man. now and you're like, and there's a guy who's walking in. He, he's a mustache, <laughs> bigger. So General rapey man. So there's a guy on a motorbike. Is that James? <laughs> what? Um, what's his name? So we learn a the bit. The only about character the... name you remember is Mitchell. <laughs> they did a really good job with him because he was so well developed. Um, <laughs> when I think of Quantum of Solace, I, I, did you not see the Mitchell poster they released in England? Like <laughs> the release of this film. I want a slate poster. Anyway, so we learned a little bit about the plot of this film. You might joke, Noah, but of course, uh, Green and the General are having a bit of a chat about taking over Bolivia. And then essentially we find out that all Green wants is a tiny piece of desert. Oh, I wonder what could be there. And of course, stupid General Rapo Medrano. (laughs) (laughs) Is that his first name, Rapo? What sort of dumb fuck is going to be like, oh, he just wants a, a random piece of desert, or well, there's no oil there? Well, Because we'll he wants to invest in the, the evil sand dunes. <laughs> well, I'll get James Bond to kill the evil sand. And basically, Green offers up Camille as a present, and of course we then learn that Camille um, might have a bit of revenge planned against General Rapo, because um, he possibly has something to do with her family. Plot twist! 
So they get on a boat, they speed off, and James <laughs> Bond uh, feels the urge to save this woman who just nearly killed him uh, by driving a motorbike onto a boat, stealing a boat. We have a boat chase. Um, <laughs> Cut to the horses. Cut to the horses. Um <laughs> It's a fairly entertaining boat chase. It's actually not too bad. Um, I do love the fact that, you know, Bond essentially stops Camille from <laughs> killing General Rapo and then gets her on the boat. And then General Rapo is so distraught with the loss of a woman he was given two minutes ago, um, only for Camille to basically come after Bond and want to drive. And then this chase is happening, and then eventually Bond gets off the boat, hands off Camille, who he just spent risked his life to save, and disposes of her two seconds later. <laughs> like, why did you even bother, James, when all you were going to do was hand her off to another guy? Um, she was seasick, and he doesn't want to be around that kind of sickness. <laughs> yes, exactly. So Bond steals a car, there's a dog on a roof. Uh, <laughs> just dog on a roof. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta admit, I missed the dog on the roof. If I'm being honest, was there a man in the grass next to that dog on the roof? <laughs> you know, this feels brilliant when I've written "dog on roof." <laughs> oh, um, now I want to see the dog on the roof. So Bond rings up home and um, well, London, uh, and questions. Hello, Bond. it's your brother, Blofeld speaking. Is Daddy home? No, he's dead. Um. <laughs> And we're talking to Tanner um, and finding out about Dominic Green. I kind of like sassy Tanner. We need a bit more information than that. Social security number, perhaps. (laughs) Oh, yes. Here's his social security number. I have that handy with me. Find out a little bit more about the evil Dominic Green's environmental company. Ooh, evil bastard. Um, He's going to plant a tree. At the same time, M, um, basically, um, in typical British fashion, let's get the Americans involved because we need their help. Um, I do kind of like the little uh, interaction there when she rings up, gets straight through to Mr. Beam, not a bean. Yes. And um, <laughs> I seriously thought it was Mr. Bean. Um, and, you know, oh, we have no interest in Mr. in Dominic Greed. And then, like, oh, they've got a lot of interest. Well, but he just said, well, they just put me through to the station chief of South America. You're telling me that, you know, good spy work, Em. You're, you're very good at your job. Like, yeah, you deserve to get your job, man. <laughs> yes. you, you proved yourself. So we cut to the plane, Dominic Green gets on it, and there's Mr. Bean. Mr. Bean, sorry. Mm-hmm. And Pouty Felix, um, who all he does in this film and is... And Silent Felix. He just pouts and has this look on his face. And then we Maybe see... he's trying to be the next Daniel Craig. <laughs> well, then he gets, like, the phone handed to him, and they're like, do we know who this is? And he kind of stares, and he's all, like, gruff. Mm-hmm. I swear he's Batman, because then he's like, don't know who he is. And then he just, like, hits the phone back. It's his time of the month. Okay? Yes. Oh, goodness. I- I'm skipping ahead a lot here. Feel free to come back because then we're on the plane. Uh, we- <laughs> Do you want to talk about the climax while we're at it? <laughs> I like the credits, so we're good. I'm just doing it, Noah. Um, so then whilst- Skyfall starts. <laughs> <laughs> so we find out Blofeld has uh, got a cat. Um, I'll stop at the end of this plane bit. Um, we learn the Americans are obviously trying to get in with Green in terms of, you know, obviously sneaking in the CIA. So they're basically saying, we're going to let you go in and, um, we're not going to come in and stop the coup, let you do what you want as long as we get your oil. Um, you know, not going any stereotypes there of Americans. Um, but yeah, so essentially to cover everything that I just talked about, um, Bond 
fight, hotel, jelly bean car, rapey man, boat chase, um, pouty Felix. And wow. then to the end of Spectre. James All right. Return. Um, first of all, <laughs> I don't know if it's taking a shot at America because every country in this movie, including England, is interested in the oil. So it's not like the American stereotypes. All they want is oil. All everybody wants is oil in this movie. And that's one of the interesting things about the movie. They have an interesting twist on politics. And this is something that's going to be followed up in Skyfall and Spectre that they've created this new world of espionage because you can't just have the Cold War thing anymore. And this is what's driving, you know, espionage now. It's, it's politics for everything. And that's one of the things I really like about this movie. But that's... Did they learn anything about... from the Star Wars prequel? <laughs> <laughs> I'm getting about 16 scenes ahead here. I've got to cover the first 15 <laughs> bits laid out. <laughs> um... The fight scene with Slate. All right, we're all the way back 40 minutes earlier. Okay. Um, <laughs> Three quarters well, that's the, the thing with this film. It isn't even 40 minutes because this film is bang, 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 well, yeah, bang, bang, bang. You're right because this is my lineup of notes here. I put another fight too soon, another car chase too soon. <laughs> Green and Camille know they want to kill each other. Why was so much time spent on action? Do we need five and a half minutes on dialogue from green and then 30 minutes in we have our fifth action scene with the boat chase that is 30 minutes of the movie and i counted five action scenes so we can cover all that right away the fight scene not as good as the original fight scene the chase scene through the streets not as interesting as the other chase scenes the boat chase not as interesting as the car chase at this point they're not living up to even the average action scenes we've had earlier on in the movie all killed by this constant quick editing which makes it all the more confusing when we do have Green and Camille, a scene that's laying out so much of the plot that they spend so much time on it. Because I feel like in another Bond movie, five and a half minutes of dialogue would not be out of place. But I counted this, five and a half minutes. And they don't spend five and a half seconds on most action scenes in this. And here we have five and a half minutes. And it just, you're too distracted because every single time I watch this, I always miss bits, which is why I had to subtitle it this time. It's, it's not even about whether you've seen the movie a lot or whether you have an attention span. When the movie has trained you for 25 minutes, hey, everything's going to be shot right at you, and then 30 seconds later, it's done, and now we're back to horses. You know, <laughs> It's too distracting to have five and a half minutes. You don't know what you're watching, and it really messes around with the audience. Uh, I'm going to defend Camille here. And again, I'm not saying Camille's a great character. I think I started off this episode by saying that the lead character in this movie don't work. I don't think Bond is at his best here. I don't think Green's a great villain. I don't think Camille's a great Bond girl. I think the supporting characters are all better than these three leads. But I don't think that Camille's a bad Bond girl. In this scene, we at least have an interesting setup for her character. We have you know, this girl whose family was uh, murdered, and she's spent her entire career getting revenge, and she's been with Green. And even just the idea, I like the idea that her and Green know that they want to kill each other. It's it's just this constant back and forth thing with them where they know what the other one's up to, and I really like that. And that's one thing that I think they do take the time to develop in this movie. And I think Camille deserves more credit just for that. Um, Green does not no. get an iconic introduction. <laughs> Shut up! It's my time to talk. <laughs> you had your thirty minutes setting up these scenes. Take over, me. I didn't say no. It was Noah. Yeah, it was Ben. Ben said that. Uh, um. Okay, so where was I? Oh yeah, um, the the Camille 
thing. Yeah, Camille's better than she's given credit for. Green does not get an interesting setup. And there are some scenes in this where I think Green is somewhat interesting. But his setup is just so bland that you don't care about him for the rest of the movie. And that's the problem with Quantum of Solace is that the setups are all wrong. The editing's all wrong. The movie's just presented in the wrong way. But there is an interesting movie there. That's what I said at the beginning. The idea of General Madrano, that's really interesting that we have the, this is the Bond girl and she wants to kill him. But this also sets up what I think is one of the biggest plot holes in the history of the Bond series. So Green clearly says that he knows Camille wants to kill Madrano and that that's why she's been with him this whole time. So why does he set her on a boat with him when he still needs his signatures? He still needs the land later on. It makes no sense because Green is already saying, I know that you're going to kill Madrano, so why don't you kill him now? Because I actually need him three days from now. I, it makes no sense to me whatsoever, and I never picked that up until I subtitled this movie because this scene just drags on so long you can't pay attention to it. If anybody has it, I know neither of you are going to look to defend anything about this movie, but if either of you have an explanation as for why he would let Camille go with Madrano, because he also knows that Camille's capable of killing him, um, I'd love an explanation, or even from any of the listeners. Uh, I'll I'll defend Beam here, or Mr. Beam. First of all, I love just the idea you introduced that Mr. Beam. <laughs> now I just picture him Hello, picking up. Hello, Beam here. <laughs> no interest in. <laughs> I want Rowan Atkinson in this role, but uh, this is a character that really bugged me the first time I saw this movie. I just found him annoying. And then I realized at least I can be annoyed at his character, whereas Green, I, I you you can't you couldn't care less. So I like Beam because at least he's a unique character. He's kind of obnoxious. He he looks really sleazy. He acts really sleazy. I love the way this guy plays him. I love his obnoxious laugh he has. I love the way that he's playing with Felix. Like you're making fun of Felix here, but I like the whole interplay. Like he's he's sitting there with this guy that he can't stand. And he's just trying to bite his tongue the whole time. I think that Felix really shines in this movie for the little bit he has. And I would have loved to have seen more of Beam in a future movie. Let's have Felix and Beam just constantly at each other's throats. Yeah, the the Beam scene on the plane is great. And uh, he has so much personality. And I don't know why I'm the only one that seems to like him. Um, I don't know. Did I miss anything here? Um, Probably. uh... (laughs) Pouty Felix? Well, Pouty, I said I like Pouty Felix because he—he he, who's not going to be miserable working with Beam and yeah the 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 whole setup that we're going to get into it later on, but this is sort of the setup of this whole movie and the politics that are going to factor into so much of the Daniel Craig series that uh, you know sometimes you do have to. I think Beam even has a line in the scene where it's like, yeah, we should only you know be in business with nice people. Like, in a way, you you kind of understand what he's saying there, and that's where I'm saying there's an interesting movie here that's too rushed, and there just wasn't enough time to get through everything. So, so the if Craig I miss Bonds, anything there... I was going to say, the Craig Bonds are essentially the Star Wars prequels in politics, basically just covering everything. <laughs> yeah, because the Star Wars prequels are the only movies that ever feature politics before. <laughs> well, when I went also, to study why politics... Why my joke from ten minutes ago? But... <laughs> Hello, when have I not stolen your jokes? Get over it. <laughs> Touche. I'm done. Oh, Go ahead, Noah. Turn to say stuff? Yeah. <laughs> Unless I missed one of the scenes. I already forgot what Ben said. I'm sure you did, but um, I'm sure we'll live. Uh, yeah. Maybe I'll just talk about some of the characters, because 
I agree. I like the get out the car. What does he say? That's not very nice or something. That's a good Daniel Craig delivery. Oh, and- hold on. Just in case anybody forgets it. I love the line. We, we missed it where uh, M's calling him and she's like, uh, you know, what happened to Slade? He goes, it was a dead end. Like, that's our first classic Bond line we've had in this, this new reboot. Yes, that was the one that I remember. <laughs> <laughs> it's a pun. Come on. <laughs> Yeah, uh, right, right up there. We show the best Bond one-liners. Um, well, it's better than Bon Appetit. Come on, shocking, positively shocking. Um, <laughs> I need you to put that in our intro, Colin. Um, <laughs> it was a dead end. Isn't that a Hulk line? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um. Yeah, I like the getting out of the car, even though this is James Bond. He could have just grabbed the gun off her, but it is cool. I like that scene. And then the whacking the motorbike off him. It's just dick James Bond. Um, <laughs> could have just said, oh, can I just have that bike? Um, but anyway, <laughs> then he does it. <laughs> like, Daniel really needs to learn. Just ask first and see what happens. And then if they say no, beat the shit out of them. That's the way it should work. Um, but, yeah, I like Bond on a motorbike. I think I've said that in the past over and over. Yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah but I also like Bond on a motorbike where you can see what's happening on the motorbike and he actually gets to do some cool things on it, though. Um, the boat chase, yeah, it's not bad. I don't get why Bond throws... Camille's gun away. Um, was that just an accident? Like, I don't know. Does he know who General Medrano is? Medrano at this point, or mm, don't know? <laughs> Do either of you have a theory as to why that happened? Because girls can't have guns. <laughs> Well, <laughs> thanks for that sexist uh, comment there, Ben. In Bond's world, come maybe. Mr. Come from Mr. Feminazis now, he's going to throw the shade on Hey, hey remember, I'm the voice of feminists, all right? I'm just standing right, up for my people. Girls can't have short hair or carry guns. <laughs> ben Waterworth. <laughs> That's an inspirational poster right there. <laughs> the Ben Waterworth meme. <laughs> Colin Steely's women are better when they're not talking. Um... <laughs> I don't think Noah's ever said anything bad. Wow. I love how Noah's a single one here because he's not saying anything bad against women because he's trying to mate. <laughs> Whereas Colin and I are just like, hey, we've got one. We can say what we want. <laughs> we've got one. <laughs> You're really helping yourself here, Ben. <laughs> it's all right. We've got one. She's just down in my dungeon. <laughs> yeah. Let's so? move on. Um, Camille, I think I'm with you, Ben. Don't know the worst, but bottom five. She's with Kissy. Kissy and Camille are in a club together. Um, one thing, I did kind of make fun of it. I do think it was the right decision not to have Bond getting with anyone in the film. Um, and this is another thing where it is a, air quotes, Casino Royale sequel. I think that was a really good decision because they could have just done a Diamonds Are Forever. Hey, Tiffany Case, come over here. But... Um, I think that was good, but Camille's just not interesting. Mm. I don't know if the actress, I don't, I don't think her name's Helga or Olga or <laughs> something like that. I'm not sure if she is in a lot of stuff or, um, Olga Kurilenko. 
Like, 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 uh, November Man with Pierce Brosnan. <laughs> yeah. Oblivion with Tom Cruise. I haven't seen that one. Oh, um, Kirat. That's what she was in. <laughs> there Be Dragons. Yes, that one. Hitman, yeah. Max Payne. Lago Winch. I love that. Um, I loved her in... And, um, oh, you said Lago Winch. Damn it! <laughs> Australian production, The Water Diviner, directed and starring Russell Crowe. Yeah, that one. No one in Australia watches Russell Crowe movies. <laughs> <laughs> so, she's so bland. Not that other Bond girls, like, we've had Melina and ones like that in the past. She is just so dead and bland. Um, they try and make her interesting with, like, this revenge storyline, but they did it better with Mustacha. Like, they at least gave that some storyline rather than a throwaway mention of why she's there. And it's like, why do we care that your family were killed or raped or whatever it was? It was killed, right? I don't know why you're calling him General Rapo. That well, was Because weird. he raped her family. He does try before... to rape her and another person yeah. later in the like, movie. Did you not see the end of the film where the whole, like, last five minutes of General Rapo was him trying to rape two women? The well, he cut the horses on my room and he's... <laughs> Uh, mine just cut to a horse that waitress over the thing trying to check a temperature. Yeah, all right, all right. <laughs> anyway, yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm with you, Ben, Camille. I'm not buying it. I mean, she does some of the action okay, but this is coming off Vespa, which really hurts it. Um, so, yeah, what do we know about Camille? She's believing in Secret Service, I believe. Which and is only a her... passing mention. Like, we barely even discover anything about that. Well, everything about Camille Wait. is a passing mention. Tell me what we discover about Jinx, Christmas Jones. Well, you just labelled two really horrible Bond girls, so I'm with you there well, on that one. What did we learn about Natalia? We know nothing about her. We She's know nothing level. About... She works in the guidance system. Yeah, we learn <laughs> about her boyfriend that she any had. Bond girl in history, I'll make the argument. But surely I the Bolivian Secret Service is kind of a little bit more worth of a mention than a passing comment by Bond. It's the Except whole that she's is... undercover, so why would it be mentioned any other time? Is Green going to be mentioning it? Not even about mention. I just feel like we need more about Camille's character to care about the fact that her parents were slaughtered. We know right. nothing about Vesper other than the fact she's an orphan. We don't even know why she's an orphan. We know more about Camille than Vesper. At least she's not bland. Um, <laughs> I'm not saying she's not a little bit bland, but man, you guys are overdoing it on her. No, I... I think we're underdoing I just, it. I, I'm, I'm, che- <laughs> I'm cheering for the horses when Camille ever comes. Um, <laughs> Yes, when we rank them, she'll be in my bottom five, I think. She has some okay bits. Moving on. Um, As in, I'm going to not comment on what you just said. Never mind, move on. Yes. (laughs) Uh, I get what you're saying. General Medrano, nothing to add. Um, Dominic Green. Lashif was so good. (laughs) Then we've got this guy. And again, I think Colin made a good point that it really hurts this coming off Casino Royale, but just so much falls flat in this film. It's amazing that the same people made this. I mean, not the same director, but same writers and a lot of the same crew. And these films are just so opposite ends of the spectrum. There's nothing interesting about Dominic Green, and that was an interesting uh, insight, Colin, when you mentioned Mr. Bean, how you can at least hate him. Dominic Green, there's just nothing. It's just... Okay, I don't care about your plan. I don't care about you. 
you're not even in the pictures, Inspector, in <laughs> all of Blofeld's little diagram things. You mentioned like once, Inspector. <sighs> Maybe we'll talk about him more, but at this point, I don't know if there's anything more to add on Green. Like, not even negatives or positives. It's just, he's there. It's, yeah, whatever. Um, Elvis, worst henchman ever, worse than Vargas. The end. Um, if we rank the henchman, he's number last for me. Hand down. And what was the other character? Bean. I can't believe he is one of your three. He is terrible! No, he's, he's fun! He's not fun! He's the stereotype. He's ridiculously obnoxious! He's the horribly written stereotype of the obnoxious American. That line of dialogue, I need to know you're on the team lighter. I need to know I can trust you. It's just cringeworthy. It's really bad. Um, it's just... I just really want to turn over the channel whenever Bean's on. It just annoys me. Um, and I just... Why is Felix even in this film? And Jeffrey Wright is a good Felix, no denying it. I just wish him and Bond actually had more of a relationship here. And then so much in this film is just like Oh, yeah, by the way, Felix got promoted. That's not... What? Okay, well, thanks for telling us all of the plot information. Why don't you show us some of this stuff? But I'm, I'm just going on. I'm sure I could talk about these little scenes here, but they're the main characters. I don't like this film. <laughs> I'm just actually uh, quite interested to find out here that David Harbour, who plays Mr. Beam is uh, scheduled to play Victor Fry's Mr. Freeze in the upcoming Suicide Squad. So, uh, if he does not drop a, a freeze is coming, then um, I will be severely disappointed. I need to know you're on I the am, squad. I am going to say, I've, I've seen him pop up in a bunch of movies over the last couple of years. He's an outstanding actor. Like, The Equalizer yeah. with Denzel Washington. He was in Black Mass, the the Whitey Bulger movie, and he completely stole the movie from Johnny Depp. Like, he honestly is an amazing actor. People need to see more of him. In the newsroom. Why I've seen is him a lot Slate in, the in, the in this film? Um, what is what? the purpose of that scene? Other than Which getting on to Haiti? Because he needs to get to Slate? Haiti and meet Camille. <laughs> Slate. Why not set it up that... Camille was somehow tighter. He has to go. It's just a random fight. And then, oh, yeah, Slate, that was nothing. He's gone. Because Bond Moving has to on. kill someone again. Uh, again. Just, just again, in defense of this being an, an adequate Bond movie, you've just complained about something that we can complain about in every single Bond movie prior to this. There's nothing new. No, not denying that, but this still doesn't excuse it here, though. Anyway, um... I just want to quickly add, um, I didn't really talk too much about Green, but um, the guy who played, now I'm going to butcher the French language, uh, Matteo Amaro. Matthew? Ma you mean Matthew? It's, it's spelled French. It's spelled M-A. Well, trust me, French Canadian, oh, we know that's Matthew. Well, sorry, Mr. French Canada. Um, <laughs> Matthew Amaric. Um was being in like everything French up until Quantum of Solace. And, like, I think people seem to go off at me for being critical of the way women look. I'm going to be critical of the way this man looks. He looks like a rat had sex with a toad. Like, he's a weird-looking thing. Jeez, poor Matthew. That, that is how Bond villains should look, though. I mean, yeah. that's how... It, he does look like a looking, villain. 
Let's yeah. give him that. He, okay, yeah, I'll give you that. But like in yeah, the grand scheme of memorable villains, like even the villains that we've all agreed are shit villains, we remember them for something along the way. Donald like, Pleasant's Blofeld looks like a king against this guy. It's not even like the the fact. I mean, not Donald Pleasant. Sorry, um, Charles Grace. Well, yeah, oh. like, but it's, it's not even the fact that Inspector they deliberately make a joke out of it almost that he's mentioned literally once, and they show M over showing <laughs> bloody <laughs> Dominic Green as anything. But like, you honestly cannot remember. There's nothing about him. Like, even like the Chief was brilliant, but even the Chief has like the blood tear and the asthma pump, like. You know, they um, always have something that's something memorable. This is going to sound really like me not paying attention to this film, but is Green supposed to be the leader of Quantum or just another high art guy? I, I don't even know. He's the guy in it. charge of. Yeah, no, yeah, the way they set it up is that he's the guy in charge of this operation. Like when they have the. And again, this is jumping to the next sequence. Yeah. But when, so he's high up then. Yeah, he's a Largo. High, before we even move on to the next sequence, just so that we can kind of cap this on green, if, unless anybody else has anything to add, the next scene really showed me who the real villain of this should have been. Because there's this character that's only briefly mentioned in scene once, named Guy Haynes, who's supposed to be like this guy Haynes is supposed to, to be the big villain. <laughs> well, if you have a guy, first of all, the guy looks more interesting than Green, and. If you have a guy who's supposed to be the Prime Minister's advisor, that's the type of character you want to see as a Bond villain, not the environmentalist who's just running this operation. So, I mean, I don't have that much bad... I mean, I have a lot of bad things to say about Green, but I do have some good things to say about him, but I do think that they picked the wrong member of Quantum here to follow as the main villain. Mm. I'm not sure if it's even Matthew... I think that's his name, is it? Matthew. I'll go with the French Canadian. <laughs> Matthew. Um, I don't even think Matthew. it's him. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, Matthew. I'm like, kick. I butchered that. Um, I'm French. <laughs> I don't think it's even him. I think he could have played a Bond villain. I think it's mainly the script and what he's got to play with here because he yeah. is decent. I don't think Matthew does a bad job. It's just what he's working with. Like. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying Matthew should have been Le Chief, but if he had an interesting character, I do think he could have pulled it off. All right. <laughs> anyway, um, so we then go... We're at the opera. We're in Austria. Um, the Daniel Craig era loves Austria. Um, Where's Cara? I blame Mr. White. Um, but anyway, we're this massively huge, ginormous theatre thing and Bond's um, skills are guys' tucks. Um, and he's kind of doing the spy thing and just observing. It's kind of cool. And then, you know, he realizes people are getting these little bags and, uh, special ones from under the table. So he follows a guy into the bathroom and steals his bag, gets his Q logo and a little earpiece and, um, breaks a handle off a door. Um, and then he hides backstage and observes the massive crowd. And we see this weird opera thing going on out of an eye. Um, golden eye, not quite. Um, and... (laughs) I've written here, uh, we've, I, I realise now his name is Elvis, but I've honestly just called him Lloyd Christmas in my notes because he just looks like Jim Carrey in Dumb and Dumber. And he's got this weird little smile that he gives one of the uh, fellow Quantum members at one point, which is so that awkward. That is just weird. It's strange. Why is like, that in the film? Exactly. But we get this cool little scene where they're all talking to each other with the little um, headpieces and discussing everything, and they're talking about pipelines, and we're hearing about, um, what is it, Op- Operation Tuscan, Tusker, um, and... Tierra? Tierra? That too. <laughs> um, and- <laughs> Operation Tusker. <laughs> that was the opera. <laughs> 
That's the opera. You get watching the movie as we speak on mute and just describe what's on screen. Operation Tuscan. We talk about song. the edit points. Why can we never argue my dumb bits? And I noticed in the best ofs too, Colin. Let's put all in Ben's dumb bits, but where are yours? <laughs> well, there's more to choose from. Yeah, that's right. I'm seeing Tosca on the screen, and there's a guy in a tux and another one. I'm just wait. Making... They're all in tuxes. I think it's an opera. I'm just making sure you both are watching the film correctly. Um, they're in this anyway. weird performance hall thing. There's someone on the stage. Bond interrupts. I love how he interrupts, and he's kind of like, uh, "Can I offer an opinion?" Um, and sort of gets everybody up, takes photos. He's got the best bloody little digital camera I've ever seen. It takes very high quality pictures of people a long way away. Good on you, James Bond. Um, and then we kind of get a, a strangely edited scene with silence and opera and fighting and everybody leaving. Um, Bond goes through a kitchen. Colin got excited because a man nearly got burnt to death. Um, <laughs> And then we get a classic scene on the roof. Who are you working for? Piss off. Um, and then falls off the roof. And I, I do love it when he lands on the car. And he's like, is he one of ours? No. Then why shouldn't he shouldn't be looking at me? So they just get out and kill him. So who is that guy? I was so confused. Uh, Mitchell Jr. The bodyguard to Guy Haynes, who's the Prime Minister's advisor. Hmm. I missed the whole Guy Haynes oh, subplot no, here. I'm not... Uh, <laughs> Operation... Tusk on Haynes. I don't know. Tusk. <laughs> yes. I so, miss um, the guy Haynes. We cut back to London. M's having a bath and moisturising. Her husband's in the background. <laughs> Your line, thanks. I love how hubby and her have to have separate phone lines. Like, ooh. Um, Do they have separate baths too? Well, it's a nice bathroom. Bloody oath. I'd have a bath with Judy in there. Don't, no, no. <laughs> don't get Your candlelit Friday night baths. Oh, yeah. Come on. I don't know. In M's bath. Even with the short hair. Her husband's um, going to be dead soon. I love kind of, yeah, got to cancel all these cards and then bond with that lady. He's like trying to, what, pay for something. And then basically he's like, oh, if they ring. What, you're get, gonna get a fly? You're, gonna, you're getting a phone call right now. Um, tell them in Cairo. And she's just like, I'd be happy to. Like, Jesus Christ. I wish I was James Bond in that moment. I could get away with anything. Like, walk into a bank. I'm going to have a million dollars. Tell them I'm in Cairo. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he could be anyone. That could be Osama Bin Laden. <laughs> like, anyway. I don't think he looks that much like Bin Laden, but I see your point. Um, <laughs> yeah, maybe not. Okay, um, well, can, well, yes. No, sorry. No, right, well, okay. you brought up that he got his cards cancelled, right? Mm. And then literally in the next scene, he's in another country. <laughs> he's a spy. That's what they do. Well, he's in Austria, and that's only Italy, so he could have walked. How does he get he there? Well, how does he get across the, the border? border in a he couldn't even get an airplane flight. It's Europe. They're a bit relaxed in... There's an attractive Italian on the border. I don't know. Like He, he just convinced the, the hotel woman... The bottom to... of the ski slope that he had um, <laughs> nothing just, to declare. He just convinced <laughs> a woman whose card didn't work to basically lie for him to say that he's in another country. I mean, he could be... She anywhere. didn't know that he was lying. Well, he just did. I'll be... In- oh, anyway, whatever. Um, I'm going to cap it here before we get to uh, Mathis because I think this is a scene we could talk about. I just want to point it out there. I actually really, really like this sequence. I love the opera set. I think it's great. And I love this whole scene when he's up there and they're all talking to each other and he just 
kind of says, you know, oh, can I offer an opinion? And this is the one bit of editing which is really strange, and I will admit it does not fit in a Bond film. But I just really like the sequence when it's got the opera and there's silence and the fighting. I just There's just something about this whole sequence that I really, really enjoy, and it's one of the few bits in this movie that I will defend. I just think that it is very moody and thematic for the scene that we're watching and it just um it works in this bit of the film well i've been saying i'm defending this more as it just doesn't deserve the hate it gets and not so much as a great movie but i'm completely with you this opera scene is if this was in another bond movie this would be a good choice for a hall of fame uh, and i think it's pretty much a lock for this one um <laughs> unless noah has a really good argument here but the editing is definitely the, the, the editing is unusual but it does work in the scene and i love how we're cutting back and forth between bond you know on the roof and then the stuff going on in the opera and just the idea of him spying on all these people and i said all the way back when we were still teasing before specter came out that i always loved the idea of the quantum organization that there's this group and mi6 knows nothing about it but it's actually just made up of very respectable people and they all have their own missions and the fact that their meeting is not like the Spectre boardroom scene blows this away, but let's be honest, Spectre meeting in a boardroom is nothing unique. Here, they have a really unique idea. These people go to an opera, and they all have these earpieces, and that's how they have their meetings. They go to this very public place, and it, the music's fantastic in this. The The opera is really creepy. Um, Bond plays this well, where he, he's like, where are you going? Like, I, I love the way that he has a bit of humor here, and he's taunting the people. And, yeah, again, the, the the fact that they said the Prime Minister thing, that does come up later. Um, I'm not going to fault you, Noel, because, as I said, you kind of have to watch this movie sometimes with subtitles to even get what's going on because everything happens too fast. But they really allow just the right pacing for this sequence here. And even the music that David Arnold's score for this is probably the one thing about this is really praise. A lot of people consider it to be the greatest Bond score, at least of the modern age. Some people consider it one of the greatest of all time. And the music that's playing just when he's sneaking around before the opera even starts is the highlight of this movie. And, uh, yeah, the music really, really helps this movie all around, uh, to be a little bit better than it should be, but the opera scene, especially, but this, this scene is just fantastic. And the editing works so well here. And this, the one moment you said with green, where he's like, why is he looking at me? Or, you know, it's not one of mine. That's the type of moment that a bond villain needs. And if he had had more moments like that, throughout the movie i think that we might be talking about him as at least an above average bond villain but uh yeah i don't really have anything to add on the airport scene except that i like the fact that you know he just shows up in another country um obviously he can't go completely overseas but the fact is the spy can do whatever they want but the opera scene is an easy choice for hall of fame for me uh i like the opera scene too um so we're all in agreement for at least one thing here <laughs> in the positive spectrum. Um, it's kind of, kind of, but not really kind of a bit like the K-Roll bit in Spy Love Me, how they've got this thing playing on in the background while all this spy stuff's happening. Uh, maybe bad comparison, but I do like the public place kind of thing. Uh, but it kind of seems bit unnecessary if Spectre can just have a random room in Italy. But anyway, um, it's, it's kind of a cool concept to have this big public thing and all these people meeting here at the opera. Um, again, I love the, the Bond trolling them and he, uh, when he speaks over the line, who's that? 
Um, but at the same time, it kind of seems like a funny thing for James Bond to do. Wouldn't he want to gather intel rather than just mess up the entire operation? Um, but it's such an awesome moment when he talks to them. Um, again, a bit of funny editing when the fights break out. But overall, just the whole atmosphere of this seed and Bond sneaking around is just really cool. So I'm, I'm in the grants here and it will probably be in the Hall of Fame just for the lack of choices. I don't know if it would be a Hall of Fame in any other one or not, but it, it works really well. One of the best done scenes here, so I'm on board with that. I, I don't like that he can just get to Italy because all of his cards were passed. He would have to get over the border somehow, and if he can't even buy a plane ticket, then why would he be able to do anything else? But nitpicking, nitpicking, nitpicking... Uh, yeah, I think you guys have covered it, but I really do like the opera scene. Don't know about Dominic Green being an above-average villain, but, yeah. Probably and we have a bunch most... of... Well, I was yeah, just going to say, we have a bunch of references in here to Canada, too, yes. which it led me to believe, at least when this movie came out for years, that Skyfall was going to be... I, don't, I still don't know if later on in the movie just the Canadian agent is what we find out about, but there's this second project going on where they're wondering about you know doing something in Canada. I want to see that movie. <laughs> of course you do. <laughs> well, who we, does it? We've established that Bong we, always gets so close to going to Canada, but then always ends up in the Bahamas. We we really need to actually have a bet on this show as whether Bond will go to Canada or Australia first. Um, yes. <laughs> it, seems, it seems likely that neither have got any chance of happening. I think New Zealand will happen before, as you said, no, it will probably happen before fucking Australia or Canada. But um... Bond visits Hobbiton. <laughs> <laughs> we need a mission that takes him to all of the Commonwealth countries. <laughs> yes, Bond versus the Commonwealth. The Queen has turned <laughs> evil. Uh... <laughs> yeah, Spectre takes over the Commonwealth. Let's have that one. <laughs> Spectre The true villain is Justin Bieber. Bond is... Invades Canada. <laughs> Bieber is Blofeld. There's uh, someone <laughs> in Australia we hate that can be a villain. Nikki Webster is Blofeld. <laughs> ben Waterworth. <laughs> <laughs> yes, they're basing the next villain on me. Um, <laughs> I should be so lucky. Um, anyway, so we're off to Talamore, Italy. Thank you very How much. How do we know Mark. that? <laughs> Uh, they they provided the audience with an atlas, um, and I swear this is Naboo. Is this not Naboo? Am I? Have we already established this. I just talked about this. I think on three or four episodes so far. Every every time we go to Italy, is this Naboo? Well, we're going to Tatooine soon. Hold me like you did in Naboo. Um, <laughs> we're on. Um, actually, no, everything this is, is soft and smooth. <laughs> So Bond walks up to this island and um, there's an old man in a hood and he reveals it's Luke Skywalker. Um, <laughs> Natalie Portman would be a better Bond girl than Camille. No, oh, don't even go there. Oh. <laughs> Natalie Portman would be a better Bond. Um, or Kira. No. Or Kira. Stuff Kira. Um, anyway, uh, so we're on this little island. It's not Naboo. It's not Luke Skywalker's island. It's where Mathis lives. And um, we get this little reconciliation with Bond and Mathis. Gee, I hope people have seen the new Star Wars when they listen to this panel. <laughs> Luke Skywalker's well, not in it. Um, it could have just been random comments. Now you've basically told them, these are spoilers, people. <laughs> if you haven't seen it, we just spoiled it for you. It's not like you told them. <laughs> um, <laughs> edit point. 
edit point. Seriously, if you yeah. haven't seen Star Wars by now, and we just spoiled it for you, then God, you'll be going off to say that Darth Vader is Luke Skywalker's father next. Um, anyway, so we're on an island. Mathis and Bond are talking about cheap wine, and there's tanned Italian mini driver having a tan. Um, and Bond's in a cardigan. Have we picked this up? Bond is in a cardigan. Uh, <laughs> and Bond's wanting a passport and money and shit. And then we're on a plane. Bond's drunk. <laughs> and he's had six martinis. Um, and then we're in uh, Bolivia, where we meet um, somebody that Colin's been waiting to talk about for quite some time. Um Miss Fields, who is there to take Bond straight back uh, to London. I do like the little interaction when Bond's like, when's the next flight to London? Oh, not till tomorrow morning. Oh, we've got all night then. Um, and then we've got a weird taxi driver man who just wants to complain about everything. I How does like Fields know that he would be there right then and there? Because she is... Shouldn't they think that he's still in Austria? Haven't we not seen Dr. No and From Russia With Love where like everybody knows where Bond is going like at every single point ever? So, well, okay, okay, on that point then, why did she let him fly there? How did she know he was... Anyway. Exactly. <laughs> well, I agree. They're tracking Bond's passports, but, I mean, they don't... Or I should say they're not tracking Bond because he has a new passport, but they probably see Mathis on there and they put two and two together. Maybe they've got the... Remember they inserted him with that microchip in Casino Royale? You yeah. have to imagine that it's only been a few days. They probably had not Or they just have... Out somebody stationed at every airport in the world just waiting for him. If you see this man step off a plane... <laughs> this they, was a great financial crisis. They could afford these things. Didn't they remove that's why the it's chip a in filer. Casino Royale? No? Uh, anyway. Didn't they have a what? Yeah. Didn't they remove the chip in Casino Royale? Did they? Yes, they did. Yes. Uh, well, they've got smart <laughs> blood. <laughs> anyway, smart so... Blood. So they're in the taxi, they're driving off, and they go to check in a hotel. Gotta admit, this is hilarious. Like, I, I think I said to you off air, Noah, that this film is like not funny at all, but yeah, gotta give it to this scene when Bond just walks in, looks, and walks straight out. <laughs> I'd rather stay in a morgue. <laughs> Were your teachers on sabbatical? And then they go off to this, like, luxurious thing. And then he's like, Were your teachers on a sabbatical? We've just won the lottery. Congratulations, sir. <laughs> <laughs> that's how easy it is to change your cover story. Like, that's the lesson that Strawberry Fields learns here. If you want something better, just say, I won the lottery. <laughs> well, her last lesson, too. This is this is what this is why I think Spectre's so good because we get so much of this Inspector. This is where Craig needs to do this so much more in these films. Is but play this is this. where this kind of sequence needs room to breathe. Like this sequence in any other Bond film should be a ten to fifteen kind of minute break from the film where we have a, a moment to pause and we have some funny bits here and we've got Strawberry Fields introduction rather than a it's over. True. And uh, let's just point out, Gemma uh, Art- Arterton? Arterton? I think it's Gemma Matthew, actually. <laughs> <laughs> Gemma Mitchell, um, she's hot. Uh, <laughs> is yeah, she, she ever? Is. And so I do love Bond in the room. Uh, I'm having trouble finding the stationery. Can you come <laughs> <and hold me> <laughs> 
he's just brilliant. And just the way he kind of pauses to think. And then she's just got that kind of like little look on her face that clearly she's going to go bone the shit out of him. But it's just so, oh, it's so good. Then Mathis knocks on the door. You've been invited to a party. Uh, I love just how, how? Like, how does Green, like, everyone knows Bond's there. Like, Bill's Green. <laughs> Jesus, you, great spy, James Bond. He's one of the best. <laughs> um, and then, of course, um, Fields is complaining that she's angry at herself, that she's just boned like the hottest guy ever. Um, and then she's complaining that she has nothing to wear. Bond says we'll fix that. Next scene, here we go. Fields is in a pretty looking dress. So I'd, I'd like to see the backstory of how they fix that. Where's like the cutaway montage shopping scene of like Bond and Fields hitting all the shops in Bolivia, like going with the outfits and she's emerging from the change rooms and Bond's going, nah, next, nah, well, wear that one, yeah. Um, that would be funny. But um, Wouldn't yeah. it have been a nice touch if she wore the same dress that Vespa had in the Casino Royale? What, with like blood on it from the... <laughs> well, not the exact... <laughs> Not the exact same one, not the death dress, but like a similar one just to see James Bond yearning for his Bond, death treasure. Bond really not dealing with the death of his one true love. Wear this one. <laughs> put this wig on. Get in, the, get in this elevator and put some water in it. <laughs> Sit in the shower and cry. like if you were drowning right now. Let me suck your fingers. <laughs> Gain my uh, trust and then turn on me. <laughs> and then do it on the bed. Um. <laughs> and then fall in love with me, even though that's unrealistic through a montage, according to Ben Waterworth. Yeah, three months is not enough time, but just pretend it's enough time to love me. <laughs> anyway. At a point. <laughs> okay. Um, see, this is why I think this movie is unfair to criticize, because... We've just had this great opera scene, and we're about to get into a whole series of really good scenes, and there's a few more good scenes to come. This middle section of the movie is where the movie is really at its best, and I don't think that the closing act is that bad. I think the opening is, but I love all these scenes, and here we get my second and third favorite characters in the movie. Well, not my second and third, not not the beams number one out of these three, but... uh, I kind of said, you know, no repeat characters, but Mathis is so good in this movie. Uh, that letters on there, Colin. I'm I'm going to argue Cop that <laughs> Mathis is better in Quantum for the little we see him than he is in Casino Royale. If you take his best Casino Royale scenes and put it up against all of his Quantum scenes, Quantum wins hands down. I love Mathis in this movie. I love the reintroduction of him. Um I love his girlfriend. I think she's hilarious. Where uh, she's like, uh, uh, "No, don't serve him the good wine." And she's like, "We don't have good wine. You only buy the cheap stuff." <laughs> what was her name? Gemma was her name. Gemma. Mini yeah, her driver. name was Gemma too. Mini Driver. Uh, I should have got Mini <laughs> back. Mini Driver's mom. <laughs> Mini Driver's daughter. <laughs> Let's call her Milfy Driver. That's her name. <laughs> she did. She did look a bit like Mini. Does Gemma have a pinball machine? <laughs> <laughs> Like, Welcome to Solus Pinball, featuring Gemma. Gemma! <laughs> Stand <laughs> by <laughs> your tan. <laughs> oh, that's bad. Like, she's another movie. character that's not in it much, but for the little time she has, she's really oh, fun. I like Gemma. Yeah, she's great in this movie. And Gemma and Mitch. Even, even the whole interplay with 
Bond is great where he's like, this man tortured me. It's like, yeah, and then they apologize by giving you this villa. Poor you, you know? I love the, the interplay between all three of these characters here, and maybe it's kind of unintentionally funny, but even the fact that it ends off with her kind of sunbathing in this bikini and and Bond's like, will you come with me, Mathis, to Bolivia so Whoa. we could track down this rat-faced villain? And she's like... She's like, Mathis, I want your hands on my body. And the next shot is him on the plane with Bond saying, are you coming to bed soon? <laughs> Some kind of awkward timing. You just turned uh, to Bond. Go work on your tan. <laughs> I, I don't know if I like the idea of Bond being completely loaded in this scene. But it's this is the first mention we have of Vesper. Here we're more than halfway through the movie. And outside of the very beginning where they mention, oh, well, this was Vesper's boyfriend. This is the first time Vesper's even mentioned. And the entire scene is about her, but it's such a brief scene. That's why I'm saying this is not so much a direct sequel. I, at least I don't see it after watching this most recent time. But again, like whether or not I like the idea of Bond being this loaded and you know having to drown his sorrows that much, I love Mathis in this scene again so much. Like, Mathis is so good in this movie he owns this movie he's the character that i wish had stuck around and they just kept using him uh in every future movie there's no reason they couldn't have and then strawberry oh fields strawberry fields oh I, I i wish i could figure out whether strawberry fields is better for being in this movie only a few scenes or if they should have included more because i said at the beginning in some ways i think that a lot of these great supporting characters like Gemma and mathis and beam and strawberry that they work because you don't see them that much that they they really just make an impact on the scenes they have but even aside from you know the fact that her scenes are really funny there's a very interesting character there that's kind of been set up like i mentioned rosie carver was the precursor to this and i don't i knew i was going to get a groan there but we're talking about enough shit here colin But let's be honest, the idea of Strawberry Fields' character is very interesting, too, that she's she's posing at this point like this great agent, but she's not. They even say later on, she's just a paper pusher. She's She works at a desk, and they just sort of gave her this assignment, and she got in completely over her head. But I love the way these scenes play out, that she's so stiff and so uptight at the beginning of this movie, and she's trying so hard to come across competent. And Bond just sees right through it. And by the time they get to the hotel, it's it's almost like for the rest of the movie, Strawberry Fields is this this do-gooder agent who's always, you know, crossed every T, dotted every I, done everything right. And Bond opens up this world saying, you can lie. You can, you can pretend you're on, you know, won the lottery so you could cheat the government out of more money and have a mini vacation. And she's like, this is fun. I want to do more bad stuff. And that, that's why she's such a great character. Um and, and you mentioned how funny the scene is. Yeah, this movie, when it did come out, I think it should be noted. We look on it now and say, that, well, it's not that funny because there's a lot of problems with the movie. When the movie came out, it was given a lot of credit for bringing some humor back to Bond. And this is a perfect... No, there is... <laughs> Compare it to Casino Royale. Do you really think Casino Royale versus this, that Casino Royale had more attempts at humor? I mean, there are a lot of... The Gemma scene's hilarious. The, the, the hotel scenes here are hilarious. They're, they're... The party scene coming up is really funny. There is a lot of good humor in this movie. And it's not as good as we're going to get in Skyfall or Spectre. But compared to Quantum of Solace, there is a, a very conscious effort to have comedy here. 
and yeah, I, I can't I can't wait to get to those other movies because the comedy works a lot better. But they were trying to make this funnier, and I think at least in this section of the movie, it is funny. Um, well, surprisingly, well, maybe not surprisingly, I agree with pretty much everything you've said there. I would probably agree with the Mathis statement. I mean, I've never really judged the two Mathis films, but I guess, <laughs> yeah, this I could see an argument for him being better in this one, but Mathis is just a great character altogether. Um, so does this confirm that Mathis wasn't a bad guy all along then, or... Yeah, I assume so. I guess so, unless he did some sweet talking or something. I don't know. Nothing's explained in this film, but um, I think it was a good decision on their behalf to bring back Mathis. But at the same time, again, like you said, this this shows why it isn't a sequel. But again, this shows why it is a sequel in a way that, like, oh, let's just chuck in all the characters that were in the first one. But it's a great decision because Mathis is a good character and it's well, I guess we had Zakovsky, so he's kind of the new Zakovsky. Um, I Felix. like the idea. Well, yeah, I, I'm thinking more like bad good guys. Lofeld. <laughs> yeah, Money but penny. like, what are we <laughs> naming penny. here? Are we just naming characters? <laughs> Luke I Skywalker. Allies who are really bad. <laughs> Luke Skywalker. Goofy. Um. Oh God, no! Not Goofy again. <laughs> <laughs> I meant allies who are not really good guys and who are recurring. Um, so it, it was cool to have that. It is kind of a bit like let's find an excuse to have Mathis back in the film, but it works because Mathis is awesome. Um, and I I agree, he should have been in more. They could have fit Mathis into Spectre. Don't know if he'd been in Skyfall, but they could could have made him work in the Spectre. Um, there really is no need to kill him. I, and maybe I'm jumping the gun here, but Spoiler. I don't get why. Yeah, um, that's what you said. Mathis uh, dies, not the other character that you mentioned. But the Chewbacca sound. Yeah. <laughs> why does he die? I just. I don't understand why they decided to bring him back and then to kill him off so quickly because he is a great character and it's just a random death scene, although I do like what, like where he's laid to rest, but I'm jumping the gun. Um, so I agree. And, yeah, maybe this is the better Mathis film. I do like Gemma, too, in her short one scene. She, she's really good. Um, and the martini scene, it feels like it should be a really big, key, important scene and it, it's not. But at the same time, it is kind of cool to see Bond and Mathis, and they really do grow to have a bit more of a relationship in in the fast pace of this film that they can. There's not really much time for it to breathe, but you really get the sense that he respects Mathis a bit more in this film this time around. And I, I was going to say something smart about a connection to Vespa, but I lost my train of thought. Um, but I do love the Bond Mathis relationship more so in this one than the last one. Fields, I like, I don't love. I think Fields is a good character, a bright spot for this film. Um, all the scenes that you mentioned, Ben, are really funny with the hotels and that. Um, I like the What do, do you think she has handcuffs? Is that what he says? Or I think she has handcuffs. I do hope so. That's a good <laughs> line. Um, 
So one of the more funny lines in there. Um, I mentioned Mathis. Why did they kill Fields? I don't get why they had to do that. Um, and I was thinking of an alternate reality um, this morning when I watched this film. Is Fields should have been a recurring character. Fields should have been in this film. The new Sylvia They're- Trench. Well, I was... Yeah, that could work as a trench. But I was thinking, have Fields in this film, then have Fields in the pre-title sequence of Skyfall, a few years have passed. She's kind of gone up a bit. She's the one who shoots James Bond. She's the one who's that agent. She's the Eve. And maybe she retires at the end, or maybe she's still with MI6. I'm not sure. Naomi Harris is still in it, but she's an assistant to Gareth Mallory. And when Gareth Mallory becomes M, that's when we meet Eve and we don't know who she is. And she says, allow me to formally introduce myself. I'm Eve, Eve Moneypenny, because at that point they wouldn't have been formally introduced. Unlike the dumbass line in that film that just forces us into having Moneypenny twist. That worked perfectly. Of course, they weren't planned that far ahead, but that's my ultimate reality. That is an interesting idea. I think, though, I think that Field's death matters only because of how it ties into the end of the movie, which is something I think that could have worked, again, like everything else, could have worked better. But I like the idea of that. I like the idea of Fields being that agent at the beginning because I think that that plays a little bit more realistically than Money Penny in the field. Yeah, so I kind of like that. Yeah, I just... <laughs> yeah. Um... Yeah. <laughs> I think she could have been a recurring character. I think I read somewhere could be making this up that they regretted they publicly stated they regretted killing her off not sure if i'm making that up or not um but that's what i i think she had potential to be a recurring character but at the same time as soon as i saw field i knew that colin you would love her because she is kind of the mary goodnight the rosie carver character of (laughs) she is an agent or at least works for mi6 um but she is really the comedy character and Fields is the perfect representation of the minor Bond girl, the secondary Bond girl. She fits that category so well that Solange didn't really pull off too well. And what's the other one? Syringe or whatever the next one's called. Several. Several. And then Monica Bellucci. Monica. Well, Monica Bellucci's pretty good as the secondary Bond girl, but Fields fits that role so well of the Rosie Carver. She's uh, the classic Bond girl that we don't get anywhere else in the Craig yeah. series. And she's got a name. She's got a mm-hmm. Bond girl name. <laughs> and Field. we didn't even talk about that. The whole thing that we, we don't get her first name. Like, when you yeah. guys watched this movie, were you thinking, were you watching the credits for Because I remember they kept mentioning Fields, Fields, and I'm like, well, why do they keep not mentioning her first name and then watching the credits and just getting a huge laugh when I saw Strawberry as yeah, her first that's name? that's a missed opportunity, and that may have been something to do with, like, script rewrites on the set and stuff like that that it just overpassed them and they didn't really like catch on that and they were always intending to have it but yeah that they really should have mentioned that in the film because it is the tibi when did we last have a name like that like mm-hmm. christmas jones is probably the yeah. last time we had a name like that although that's only a few films away it was like really 10 years or so um so I, I am on the Fields bandwagon. Although I love her, I do think she works in this film. I do wish we got a little bit more Fields, but at the same time, I agree that she works with what we did get. I think alternate reality, she's the agent at the beginning of Skyfall. Naomi Harris is Gareth Mallory's assistant. 
alternate reality, better bonds. Anyway, like fields. So, um, <laughs> we're at a party, and <laughs> hey. um, we get a very boring speech by Green. Good on you, Green, saving the world, blah, 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 blah. Um, <laughs> Pouty Felix is there again. Uh, Bond's meeting people. Um, I love Bond's little interaction with Green when he's um, when what he's about to throw Camille off the the platform. What a shame that would be. Um, it's like <laughs> my friends call me Dominic. I'm sure they do. Um, I do kind of like how he says that. Um, and then we get Bitch Fields tripping over Elvis, Christmas, Joe, Lloyd, whatever, uh, down the stairs. That's hilarious. That's so good. Um, it's, yeah, it's all right. It's not typical Bond party. It's like an outdoor alfresco event. Um, <laughs> what about geeks in a pool and for your eyes only? Is that a typical Bond party? Bring, bring back geeks in a pool. Bring back the geeks. Everyone wearing sunglasses at Gustav Gray's event except for Bond and Jinx. So Bring back cool. the same geeks, so they're all like fifty or sixty years old at this point. And they're not blown up by his um, lotus hashtag counts as kills. Um, <laughs> anyway, so Bond basically gets back to Camille, a woman who he ditched uh, how many days earlier because she was seasick, just to take her away again. This time, ditch fields, um, get in the car. Get pulled over by the cops, who he was only speaking to somebody, what, a couple of minutes ago, basically saying, oh, if you ever need the police, <laughs> um, they are here to help you. <laughs> like, why isn't Bond getting pulled over at this point going, oh, my friends are here to chat to me. Like, hey, I know Carlos. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, so these Well, cops- so are these quantum agents, or is that just really one of the biggest plot holes and biggest oversights ever? Yeah, I don't, maybe it's just his They have being- people everywhere. Yeah, everywhere. And, and let's be honest, if MI6 doesn't know quantum exists, there's no way Mathis would have known. Yeah, or well, Carlos's men. Um. Anyway, so they get out of the... Like, Bond gets out of the car. Isn't that like... A, or is that just an American thing where you you don't get out of the car because they'll shoot you? Um, <laughs> well, evidence American, here. So probably not. I'm just defending... I've watched too many American movies. Like, oh, no, the, the Americans, car, they just want oil, man. <laughs> Everything's like, these American stereotypes. These Americans don't get out of their cars. <laughs> Just, Watching yes, Mr. Just, Bean get out of the car. Just, I'm ripping shit into Americans in this episode. All they want is oil and just shoot people getting out of cars. <laughs> <laughs> Damn you, Bean. Anyway, we're in Bolivia. Um, they're a lot more forgiving in Bolivia. They let people get out of their cars when they pull them over. Um, once I shoot boots, there's Mathis. I love how like he gets Mathis out and they're like, he's still alive. Bang, 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 bang. <laughs> like, clearly, Mathis... Like, have they not heard of bullets going through people? Why does none go through Mathis and hit Bond? Bond kills a couple of cops. <laughs> That's your issue with this film? <laughs> yes. The, the bullets didn't go through Mathis. I'm very scientifically accurate. I just... <laughs> we're so much Mythbusters. Yes. <laughs> the science didn't die another day. Yes. Hey, I haven't played the song yet. Um, so, anyway, Mathis is dead, the cops are dead, well, Mathis hasn't died yet, they have a nice little romantic scene on the ground, um, Looks and then... Like they were about to make out, didn't they? <laughs> yes! Well, at least Bond needs to get with somebody in this film. Hold me in your arms, Mathis, like you did in Naboo. <laughs> <laughs> could you tell Luke? Is that who you could tell? <laughs> <laughs> you could tell Vesper! 
It's a nice little scene when he's like, forgive Vespa. I want a bond to be like, fuck that bitch. Um, and anyway, she did. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, so Mathis dies. He dumps her in a, dumps him in a dumpster. <laughs> oh, I love that. It's kind of yeah. cool. And then he wouldn't bon- care. And Bond returns back to his old five finger discount self by like robbing his um, wallet, <laughs> stealing his money. I'm gonna take a fifty while I'm at it. <laughs> Is this Bond's biggest asshole film out of all twenty four? Because he's well, his credit asshole, cards have been cancelled by MI six. What's he supposed to do? <laughs> I think there's an even bigger prick moment to come yet. Trust me. Wait till we get to after the plane crash. Um, but anyway, speaking of the plane crash, uh, after this, they get their car, they drive off to the desert. Um, <laughs> Watch out for those sand dunes. I'll eat you. They're trying to find this place with the what's it? What's the project called again? I forgot it again. What's it called? Tierra. Tuscan, I think it is. Not Tosca. Tierra. 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 Um, off they go. Get a plane. Swap a plane for Bond's dad car. Can I again point out Daniel Craig driving the dad cars? Um, so off they go, flying around in a plane. There was a little tiny, like, white Cessna there. Why did they take that plane, like the big-ass jumbo cargo plane? Um, they happen to get chased by the Bolivian Air Force, um, which doesn't these, have these any... These guys are relentless. <laughs> they don't have any missiles in the Bolivian what Air Force. What did Mathis do to really burn these bridges? <laughs> Just a machine gun, essentially, on this little plane. Um, and then stupid old... Dumb face Camille, like let's <laughs> let's get off the seat and look out the window. I don't see him anymore. This plane's like ripping holes in the fuselage and the main part of this plane, you dumb bitch. And you are gonna <laughs> stand there and get shot. Like why couldn't she just die in that point? Um. Anyway, so the plane eventually gets crashed by a helicopter. They have one parachute. How convenient. Um, I like this plane chase until they jump out of a fucking aeroplane with one parachute, which they open up like three seconds before the ground, which is concrete rock, and they survive. Did we not see the halo jump in Tomorrow Never Dies, which was super dangerous on water and all this training and everything that Bond and Wei Lin had to do? But no, Camille and Bond can do this in three seconds flat. Speaking of flat, they land flat in their face. They're in a cave. Um, Your segues are on top of the game here. <laughs> know, right? Speaking of flat, um, we oh we we just quickly we get a throwaway scene of M in the minister's office. What's today's excuse? Bond is blind. Um, oh, I love that line. <laughs> today's excuse. Bond is legally blind. <laughs> I do quite like that. But anyway, so we mm. learn a bit more about Camille's backstory. Oh no, her family died. Um, and then we discover the water. They're not after the oil, they're after water. So this is where it differentiates from the world is not enough. Um, so there's massive large bits of giant underwater sections. So why the <laughs> hell is General Rapo when they've like discovered there's no oil there? Have they not discovered fucking water there? Are they just like dumb in Bolivia? I don't know. Um, so then Hello they- to all our Bolivians. <laughs> <laughs> They discover, of course, that this is the plan. He's going to get the water and sell it off in this drought because the water's, you know, needed in Bolivia because they're in a drought. And, ooh, evil Dominic Green with his environment shit. Now, we're talking about Bond being a prick. This is the biggest prick move by Bond, I think, in James Bond history. He's just emerged from this ginormous oasis of water underground. This, this could, like 
creates life in Bolivia. He goes through like a, a, a refugee poor person's camp where they're literally begging for water in a tank and the guy opens the tank up and he's like, oh, no, no water. Bond looks, he's in a tux with this weird woman thing in a dress. Like, could Bond not just say to these people, oh, guys, if you just walk a couple of clicks down the road there, there's a shitload of water, you'll be fine. No, he just jumps on a bus, gets free transport back to town like an absolute prick, says, see you later, I'm James Bond, fuck you. It's the evil sand dunes, he's looking out for them because they're guarding (laughs) the water, he doesn't want the poor Bolivians to get eaten by the sand dunes. Oh, it just baffles me so much, um... Uh, I'm just, I'm going to go all the way up to the Felix bit here, so there's a lot to cover. Um, back to the hotel, um, he gets a note, it says run, uh, Camille waits down in the lobby, Bond goes back up to the hotel room, M's there, everyone's there, um, there's a bit of a conversation, then we discover poor old Fields is drowned in oil, even though Bond's trying to say that it's not about the oil. Why have they killed her in oil? Is this still like a play? Like, oh, we're actually after oil, but really it's the water. Oh, don't double bluff us or whatever. Um, well, they already killed Vesper in the water. They need to try something. Well, of course. Uh, so then Bond, oh no, he gets his license to kill revoked again. Everything's taken away from James. <laughs> in a country club 007. Um, <laughs> Bond's in an elevator, takes out like 18,000 MI6 agents and a couple of kids. Bumps into M and basically climbs away and again. Throwback to what we were talking about before. Like, oh no, Mitchell's been in a care for eight years. You've known Bond for about three months, M. But oh no, I trust him. He's okay. <laughs> so then, straight outside, and Camille's in another shitty little car. This time it's a VW. Um, and then we're back into a little hotel dark alley thing with pouty Felix Batman. Um, having a little conversation, little few quips I've written here. I love the line when Felix turns around and says, like, you don't know me. And I felt wanted Bond to turn around and go, oh, yes, I do. I was the best man at your wedding. Della! Della! <laughs> <laughs> um, I do like the line, though, when he's like, oh, how long do I have? 30 seconds. And then all the mm-hmm. Secret Service guys come in and shoot the shit out of the place. And cool-ass Felix is just... Swigging on a beer because he's cool. <laughs> he's Felix, um, and we of course learn that they're in the hotel, this hotel in the desert, um, which I'll end right now because we're going to talk about that separately. We're talking about that shit separately. Um, so <laughs> I've covered a bit here. There was a plane chase. There was I mentioned Della. You heard it all. <laughs> <laughs> covered a bit here. There was a plane and Della. <laughs> Um, I just quickly will say, I, as I said, I like the playing sequence until they fall out of it, which is a bit strange. Um, and I don't really have too much to add, really, with else, whatever. You, you two talk. Shut me up. Well, the party scene again, I think the movie's still really good here. And you talked really? about the the speech that Green makes. Is it a little bit over the top? Yeah, but I get that's one of the things that I think does work about his character I like that he gives this really passionate speech and all these people are saying, I'm going to give you money, I'm going to give you money. And then Camille comes and completely sabotages him. I like even just that. The fact that these two characters know each other and they're both trying to ruin each other, but they're willing to go along with it for whatever reason. Uh, And then the scene with her on the balcony again, I like that scene too. And I just wish again that Green had been a little bit more of an interesting villain to sell this better. But Strawberry Fields again completely steals this scene 
the moment where Elvis, the, <laughs> the dumbest henchman ever, with his dumb bull cut, is walking down the stairs, and again, like I said, Fields is like the, the, the perfect agent that just realizes you can break the rules for the first time, and she's having so much fun tripping this guy, and when he goes down and bangs his head on the concrete and his toupee flops off. Why he has a toupee? Let's give this guy a bowl cut and then have the big plot twist be that it's a toupee. <laughs> and then just the way she looks up, I'm so sorry. I just love that moment that she plays us so well and she saves us from Elvis's toupee. Uh, yeah, Bond does ditch her very abruptly. I think that maybe... I did say that I like that some of these characters are short-lived because I think that makes them more effective. I think we could have had at least one or two more Strawberry Field scenes. At least have a scene where Bond tells her he's leaving because he just does abruptly walk out. Um, the movie takes a bit of a downturn at this point. I think that from the opera scene to the party scene, it's really good. And from this point on, it's okay. I still think that the opening act is the weakest and nothing's that bad from this point on. The Mathis scene especially. That Mathis death scene, though, I, you can group that in with the rest of the movie. So I guess I'll say up to Mathis's death. Uh, such a great scene. I love that, you know, he's asking Bond, do we forgive each other? Um, and we've mentioned it a couple times already that the when he throws him into the dumpster and Bond says, you know, he wouldn't have cared. It's a great line. And again, I love when they can kind of get a little bit more into the spy world where they're saying things about spies that you don't normally think of that are probably true, that spies wouldn't care if you throw their body in a dumpster, you know? Um, what else did we even cover here? Uh, the, the the plane chase, yeah. Uh, the action scenes, I think, up until this point, are just progressively getting worse. And I think that the the car chase is definitely the best chase scene in the movie so far, and I still think that that scaffold fight is the best fight scene in the movie so far this plane seems so random and i complained in our specter we haven't even done our recap but our specter reaction episode that i had a real issue with the plane chase inspector and i do think that the plane chase inspector is bad it may be slightly better than this one but i think both of them are bad i i would have rather they just cut this i think that there's something to be said for not having an action scene every five minutes Terminator Genesis came out, you know, about <laughs> six months ago, and I think one of my biggest complaints outside of the fact the plot makes no sense in Terminator Genesis is that instead of just having three or four really good action scenes, which is what Spectre had and Skyfall has, Terminator Genesis felt the need that every five minutes you have 30 seconds of an action scene, and that's exactly what's wrong with this plane chase. There's nothing about the dogfight that really plays that well. The parachuting thing doesn't play that well. Um... There's no need for it other than the fact that they have to get underground. I, I I would say this is my least favorite part of the whole movie. If the opera scene was the best, this is the worst. The underground stuff, I think it's it's important um, for the plot of the movie. And I did say how the script, which I should note, Paul Haggis, you know, and Oscar, we're talking about Mark Forster. They had previously brought in Paul Haggis to do the rewrites on Casino Royale. And he kind of was the head screenwriter on Quantum here just coming off of winning the Oscar for Crash, winning screenplay for, was a Mystic River, a Million Dollar Baby. I mean, he was the most accomplished writer they'd ever had. And there are so many interesting things he does in the script that just because of the pace, it's ruined. And one of the things is the exposition. There's the scene earlier on setting up where they just had a loose mention of the, the cab driver listening to the radio and how there's a water shortage. And if you had had the time to process those scenes, I think that 
the story is told better. And this underground scene's another one because I was completely with you where, and I think we made a mistake in judging it this way, but it's not that they discovered this big lake of water. It took me until, again, I had it subtitled this most recent time, and I watch this movie all the time, to realize that they didn't discover any water here. They just built a bunch of dams that trapped water in one spot, and now they want to say, we want to buy this land. They're not really discovering anything. They just sort of blocked it from everywhere else, which I think is weaker. I would have rather this been something where they discovered this land of water or this underground river that nobody had seen before instead of just simply they built a dam because now it makes quantum seem really dumb these they have people everywhere but they don't realize hey if there's a water shortage or, or not the, the the bolivian government i should say you know they got all these regime changes and medrano is you know obviously very smart and he could take over a country but they can't figure out somebody built a couple of dams and that's why there's no water it just makes everybody seem dumb in this and I don't think it makes quantum seem like this is a brilliant idea. Um, did we cover anything after that? It pretty much ends there, I guess. Yeah, I don't really have anything else to add. I, I don't like. I liked it better when I thought that they discovered the water, but um, Mathis's death—that that's got to go down as one of the all-time best deaths in a Bond film. Yeah, I really, I already kind of talked about it, but I really like the way the math, I love that they just dump him in a dumpster. That's a great kind of end to it. And, oh, yeah, he wouldn't have minded. It's, it's like he literally just picks up his body and chucks him in the bin right over there. Like, it's pretty cool. Um, again, I don't know if they needed to kill him off. Like, because this film so, seems so rushed, it doesn't have the impact that it should have, but it's still a great scene. Um that's an interesting note that they could have just cut the plane chase um, because it really doesn't add anything to the film. Like, no. I would not be upset if that was not in the film. You could like even do a fan edit and just cut it to the Bond and Camille walking. Of, uh, of course, mm. you're going to be missing some plot there, but you could make it work somehow. Um yeah, I think I'm on board with that. I don't think you need this. Of course, they wanted to try different things like boats and beams and ropes and motorbikes and planes. They wanted a mix of stuff, but yeah, it doesn't really work that well. Um, the only thing we learn here is that Camille is Bolivian Secret Service, but um, <laughs> let's not go down that alley again. Um, the whole thing... <sighs> It's better than The Dark Knight Rises whole scene, I'll say that, because I did not like Batman being stuck down a hole for an hour, so at least they actually get out of this hole a bit quicker. Um, I'm not a fan of The Dark Knight Rises. Um, yeah, am I mixing up my plot here, or is this where Bond and Camille discover the water, right? Yeah. Um, yes. So this begs the question, if they're not attacked by the plane... Do they ever even find out about this? No, no. but th at the same time, do they even need to? Because they already know where they're supposed to yeah, that's find. A good point. They know where they're supposed to find Green, and that's all they do is to stop him in the end. So, did they even need the water plotline? <laughs> I guess the Could audience it... does, so we know why yeah. Green wants random land in the desert. Yeah, I guess so. Um, well, weren't we under the assumption that that's where the oil was? Mm -hmm. So that's couldn't the, it just not be an oil plot thing? twist? The, the plot twist is water. I thought um, the plot twist was 
to pay. <laughs> <laughs> Many plot twists in this film. It's a very complex film. <laughs> it really is. If they, if we, like I said, if we had the time to process what's going on, this would be a pretty complex Bond movie. There is some stuff here going for it. If it was a better made film, like I still don't agree that this is a groundbreaking thing, even if it was made well, but there is definitely some stuff here that they could have worked with. Um, yeah, the whole is... It, it's a decent scene. We have some nice Camille and Bomb moments. I do really like the montage of them walking. Like, not yeah. anything to do with the plot or anything, just as a, a film thing. I, I like that. Um, yeah, of them Forrest, going like I said, Forrester has, Forrester has some really good shots in this. He has some good images. Yeah, it's yeah. kind of it. And it is kind of... <laughs> Um, thanks, Ben. <laughs> it is kind of an iconic image of Quantum of Solace, if I'm not just pulling things out of my ass. I believe that that's kind of... Maybe it's on the poster. Is that where I'm getting it from? But yeah. I, 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 I don't know. I think it looks nice, them walking, and then you cut to the, the desert. And the same thing with Spectre, with him and Swanee in the desert, and they kind of just in the middle of nowhere i just think it has this nice kind of feel to it um i think that's where we got up to but yeah i think ditch the plane scene i'm on board with that the water stuff plot twist i don't even care about this plot twist because it's about water um oh and i've written here in big capital letters dumb goldfinger tribute (laughs) why 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 it was it a goldfinger tribute it was kind of because okay. they needed to get fans to realize we we're watching a james bond film <laughs> oh i do a... remember though watching this strawberry for first... masterson here <laughs> well i i do remember watching this for the first time and noticing a lot of little moments that they were throwing in here which i think as awkward as they are handled better than die another day where it's so blatant but like you mentioned the whole halo jump thing with the plane you know that's a little bit of a throwback there and there are these moments that that really do stand out in the wrong way but i'm still gonna say it's better than die another day's little throwbacks (laughs) and on that note because we haven't played it all episode gold finger shut up um <laughs> all right so we're into the final bit uh neither of you wanted to comment on felix in the bar and the shoot up or actually i i did realize i missed that too i also missed strawberry fields death but my comment is more relevant later on for that but yeah the felix scene i actually really like that too and this is where again i, I i'm really on board with felix in this movie i like that he's kind of miserable here and there's there's another good line where you know bond again this is where i i said i like the idea of the the whole political plot that you do have to really think sometimes you do have to kind of side with people who maybe are bad because they said about how you know america's just going to get in bed with anybody and then felix is like including you brother including you to bond i love that line from him yeah that's a good point i don't have too much to add either other than we are starting to build the bond and felix friendship here that we know and love um from the old ones but it's kind of dropped the ball because we never see him again apart from a brief mention apparently felix is banging monica bellucci now or something but maybe maybe lucia schiara is really della who knows she's she's the real dink yeah (laughs) the real dink it sounds like that's her cover name when they arrive in miami 
when he, he eventually <laughs> delivered her to Felix. He's like, Felix, this is dink. <laughs> it sounds like a Monica Bellucci autobiography or something. The real dink. The Monica real dink. Bellucci. Picture the of her like story. pensive thought looking off into the <laughs> yeah, distance. The real um, dink. Um, but yeah, they build upon this relationship here, extending from Casino Royale, which I like because there was not much of a relationship there. Completely dropped the ball, and I don't feel feel like they're even going to bring him back at this point. So, yeah, disappointing that they didn't extend it in Skyfall. I agree with that, but I also agree with the sentiment that Felix really has no purpose to this film whatsoever. Um, so, yeah. Well, can we also think of the timeline here? He's just coming off this mission in... Shouldn't he be pissed about Le Chiffre? Like... You, you were meant to give it to him, give us to him, and you didn't. Yeah, he's literally coming off th- that mission, and then suddenly now he's got this big high-class mission with uh, Mr. Bean on this plane in South America. So, now we know why he's so pouty. Like, <laughs> yeah, he's got jet ago, He was wearing a tuxedo, <laughs> drinking Vespers, gambling for a million dollars. no fruit. fruit in his diet. He's too gross. Now he has to eat peppers because of the bad water, and he's sitting next to the sweaty beam guy. It's just, it's awful for Felix. It all I think he gets a job promotion think, at the end, so. I think, yeah. I think it's a mix of the CIA overworking Felix, like putting him onto a case straight away, and also probably the cholesterol in his diet from the lack of fruit. So, <laughs> all it right. all makes sense for Felix. We've loved this movie up until this point, and it's just about to get a little bit better, because we're about to go into... One of the shittest climaxes in the history of James Bond in one of the oh, most unappealing yeah. locations ever. Um, can I just point out, I actually like Bolivia as a location. I think they underuse it and it could have been a lot better. But this finale, let's just point this out. This is in a box hotel that looks like it was built out of Lego in the middle of the fucking Bolivian... Who stays in this hotel? <laughs> like, what tourist group... Like, guys, like, I'm going to my local flight centre. I want to go... Pizza's on sabbatical. I want to go stay in Bolivia. <laughs> oh, have you seen the random box hotel in the middle of the desert? Well, maybe that's dangerous the gimmick. Fuel maybe cells that's that what they advertise themselves. It's like, we're the hotel in the middle of the desert. All the hipsters go. But it's... it's yeah, I've been... You've been complaining about this for weeks, about the hotel, and I've been waiting to watch the movie just so I could argue it, but I got nothing. I don't know why that thing exists. <laughs> Like, it is a good-looking set, though. I think that it, it yeah, looks cool on the inside. I'll give you that. But, like, the thing with the Craig films is that, like, if you analyse every single climax, and I'm not wanting to rip shit into the climaxes of the Craig films because there are good climaxes, but if you look at the, like, turns of, like, locations, like, compare them to the Brosnan films. We're on a satellite dish in the middle of Cuba. We're on, a, like, a big, giant stealth boat. We're on a sub in the middle of the Turkish oh, River. We're in a plane over North Korea, and we're, we're in a, what, a floating house, a hotel, a, a house, and <laughs> London. London. <laughs> I agree, although I think that the, the sinking house in Venice is right up there. That one really is good. But anyway, so we're in this giant hotel, and we get a lovely little conversation about, oh, what, what's that noise? Oh, that's just the fuel cells. Oh, they sound unstable. Um, <laughs> I wonder what will happen in a few moments. Bond and Camille are hiding behind a rock, and Bond's giving some advice about killing people, um, <laughs> which is great. Um, then Green arrives in a Hawaiian shirt eating an apple. Oh, he's so evil. Uh, <laughs> and he's got his money handing it off to bloody, is it, what's the guy, the uh, the president? It's Rano. <laughs> no, not Rapo, the other one. Oh, 
I don't know. Kai Hayes. Previous Medrano. Yeah, pre- <laughs> previous Rapo. Mitchell. Um, <laughs> Mitchell. Slate. Um, you know, handing off the money, and then, of course, oh, we get the evil plan from Green about the water. He's going to sell it off. Oh, no. Although I do quite like the one evil thing we hear from Green all fucking movie. Um, oh, if you don't sign it, you'll wake up with your balls in your mouth and your willing replacement standing over you. Kind of did like that line. Am um, I the only one who thought this is really immature? Am I the only one who thought that they said Willy replacement um, <laughs> after they said that? Yeah, you're just pulling a bit more to work there. No, um, they said balls, whatever, blah, 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 and your Willy replacement. I'm like, what? What is he saying? Bond jumps he out. He said from- willing replacement. Willing. Like somebody willing. else who's willing to step in? <laughs> willing. No, I, I know now that that... Yeah. No, moving on. <laughs> okay. We're um, all lost. I think Bond. that we've got an accent translation thing going on <laughs> Bond, James Bond, somebody had to say it in this film, he jumps from a roof onto a car. You and I had a mutual friend, or whatever it is, and <laughs> bang, bang, shot, you're dead. A um, couple of tanks get blown up. A uh, couple of people die. Uh, meanwhile, General Rapo is raping random waitress lady um, whilst Camilla has to come in and decide to get raped instead. Not really, but like she tries to <laughs> stop the rape. Hang on, let me rephrase that. She- yes, please do. That's in the script. Camilla enters, decides to get raped. No, 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 no. Let me rephrase that. She tries to stop the rape and ends up nearly getting raped herself. That's what I'm trying to say. But, of course, the big battle, she's trying to get revenge on General Rapo. Meanwhile, the battle we've all been waiting for, all film, Green vs. Bond is happening in front of us as... Um, <laughs> Never since Hans versus Bond. <laughs> and the throwbacks continue to Tomorrow Never Dies as Green gets an axe and starts going... <laughs> as he's trying to kill Bond. Was that a Tomorrow Never Dies moment? I missed that. <laughs> like bit. going back to uh, Michelle Yeoh going, yeah! Uh, <laughs> That's wow. the parallel you draw? <laughs> yes. You really um, picked the obscure one. It's kind of cool with all the flames and everything going, but that's the only bit I'll give it to it because it's just... And we see Elvis getting, like, Colin's getting exciting. He's getting burnt to a crisp as we kind of get this weird pan-out shot of the glass breaking and then running away from it. Um, Camille ends up shooting General Rapo. Hooray. Um, And then for some reason, Bond does not drop Green to his death and then go save Camille. He decides to save Green... Before, I guess, okay, it makes sense. He needs to get information from Green. Never mind, I answer my own question. Um, and then Bond goes off, saves Camille, although essentially at one point, it's kind of Toy Story 3-esque. Let's just stay here and die. It's a bit dramatic and a bit depressing. Then it seems as Bond is about to put Camille out of her misery and shoot her, <laughs> only for something random to pop up so that he can blow. Like, if that little gas tank didn't show up, is Bond about to kill Camille? <laughs> like, oh, no loss. Seriously. Bond was doing us a favour. So anyway, but this gas thing opens up, explodes, well, he shoots it, blows up. Out in the desert, there's Green. Um, he goes and gets Green, puts him in a car, obviously gets all the information, drives him out to the middle of the desert, um, lets him go, gives him motor oil. Um, great, fantastic. Um, then we're back into... Um, oh, no, actually, sorry, we get a little scene between Bond and Camille. Oh, here's what we're waiting for. They're going to hook up. No, they're not. Um, <laughs> Bond does get... 
quite aggressive though with her. Like as she kind of leans in to hug him, like he basically grabs her and like makes out with her, only for her to kind of be like, mm, "No, I don't want to have sex with you." Then she walks off, and it's kind of it's the weirdest ending for any Bond girl ever because she's just nothing. Um, then we're into Kazan, Russia. How do we know? Because it's on the screen. <laughs> um, then Bond looking cool in a trench coat, waiting in a apartment. Um, and we just happen to see, um, Yusuf, uh, who of course was Vespers. <laughs> <laughs> not Cat Stevens. Not Cat Stevens. <laughs> um, uh, <laughs> <laughs> Islam. <laughs> um, Yusuf, um, of course, Vespers. Bond boyfriend. has a chance encounter with Cat Stevens. <laughs> Cat Stevens could have done a better Bond theme than Jack White. <laughs> Not the way to die. He <laughs> would have been a better Bond girl than Camille. <laughs> oh, come on. More attractive, too. Um, but, um, oh. oh, Camille's pretty hot. So we meet Yusuf, and we also. Her hair's a bit short. Uh, hair's too we- short, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we meet Colette Stinger from 24, um, and also, uh, what's her name, Kate Thingo from Castle, isn't it? Um, I saw, like, two episodes of it. Um, she's Canadian, we learn, yay, we've got connection to Canada, because and Quantum a Canadian has... actress playing a Canadian character. Because <laughs> um, Quantum has infiltrated the entire Canadian government, it seems. Uh, <laughs> Easily influenced. I really don't know what that says about Canada there, Colin. Um, <laughs> but... Oh, sorry. Well, they did the same thing the British government in the last movie. Good oh, point. Oh, don't get to fit. <laughs> So anyway, he tells um, uh, Thingo to bugger off. It's Corinne is her name. Um, and Corinne then, the yeah, we, Bond kind of gets his revenge. Well, he doesn't die. He hands him over, I'm guessing, to the authorities. Uh, we find out um, Green got shot in the back of the head, as well as with motor oil in his stomach. Light has been promoted. Fantastic. Um, <laughs> and we get the line, I need you back. I never left. Um, and then as Bond walks off, I swear M checks out his ass. Um, <laughs> well, who wouldn't? Let's be honest. Uh, well, Vesper, obviously, we found that last movie. Um, so, did her husband die in between these two? Yeah, kids? well, we don't know. Like, what happened to Judy's husband? Um, Maybe she murdered him. So she had the Nazis on the ground. Off. And, oh, we had the fucking barrel at the end, which goes into the Quantum of Solace logo. That's Quantum of Solace. James Bond will return eventually at the end of the credits if you watch them right to the end. So, um, yes, a, an ending in a hotel in the middle of nowhere. Uh, you know, even even when you started this bit and you were saying the worst climax ever, I was, again, feeling like that's maybe overdoing it. I still feel like that's overdoing it, that there's sometimes too much what hate for movies. Well, that's the thing I'm trying to think about. I think Diamonds Are Forever is definitely worse. Nothing happens in Diamonds Are Forever, but... Tiffany Case blowing a gun, tossing her off of a oil rig. Yeah, Die Another Day is pretty ridiculous, and even even Tom for the, how ridiculous it is. It's it's got a man in an electro suit. Come on, <laughs> uh, Living Daylights. I mean, nothing really happens in Living Daylights. There's a shootout Better in a model though. room. A, cool a shootout in a model room. Come on. Oh, I think you count the plane in that as well as the even if you count the plane. I mean, I said it during the Living Daylights. Bond's just shooting a machine gun in the air, doing nothing for that. Living Daylights. No, I don't like the climax for that either. I think there are space aliens. He was (laughs) shooting sand dunes in space. (laughs) Sand dunes in the air. Sand dunes in space. (laughs) 
you know, I don't know if I you're could... parodying something there, but that was funny. Yeah, the Muppets, right? Yes. <laughs> okay, there we go. I got it. Um, yeah, I think there are worse climaxes, and if I had time to think about it, I could probably come up with some more. But at the same time, I do agree with you. This leaves a lot to be desired. I am on board with this being a great set, though, because I think that they tried to do something that they haven't done in any of the other movies, which is come up with a really unique-looking set. Like, this looks like... It's not up to the same level, but this looks like something that we would have seen in the classic 60s movies or the 70s movies. You know, Scaramanga's Funhouse, um, Blofeld's Volcano, Goldfinger at Fort Knox. I mean, it's a really cool-looking set. Blofeld's Volcano it sounds like a euphemism. Um... <laughs> <laughs> uh, but outside of how the set looks, again, I think it's the same problem we have over and over again in this movie. There are some really cool action bits in here. The thing about all the, the glass exploding and the fire sort of chasing Elvis, but it happens way too quickly and you just don't have a chance to process anything. The other issue is the fight scene. Uh, I actually put in my notes that we have two fight scenes that are cutting back and forth, and I think this is one of the reasons why I do give a little bit more credit to Camille in this movie because I think that she's more interesting than Bond in this movie. And I, I'm not down on Daniel Craig's performance, but what does Bond get to do in this movie? His big climax is fighting a villain. <laughs> well, let's look at the villain, okay? Green, a villain that we have not seen fight. We've had no reason to believe he can fight. He doesn't look like somebody who could fight. And suddenly he has a fight scene with Bond that's over before it begins and we couldn't care less. Camille has had a build-up to her fight with Medrano, it's had more time dedicated to it, and it's been developed better than whatever non-existent rivalry there is with Green. So I actually kind of care about what happens in the Medrano fight, and I think that the fight scene is choreographed better than the Green one. So I kind of like the Medrano fight with Camille, um, and I think that, again, like the, the, the fight scene, the, she did her own stunts from what I understand. And she handles the physical part of this character well. So some credit to Camille. I almost feel like I'm defending Camille like she's a great character. She's not. But I think that she's better than she's being given credit for. Mm. The moment that they have when, like you said, you think they're about to kill themselves. That's a really good moment. And that's what this movie needs more of. Just slow the movie down a bit and take a couple seconds to focus on a dramatic scene. Because I like that moment. And then again, when he shoots the, the, the tank and everything explodes... Call back to Casino Royale, shooting a fuel tank or whatever. Um, it's a good escape. This whole climax could be a lot better if they, I don't even say spent more time on it, but just maybe focused a little bit more on the action or built it up a bit better. But the green scene, this is where I think green goes from being one of the top five worst villains to being maybe a middle villain who's just uninteresting. He's definitely Ooh, better than Largo. He's, he's better than Largo. He's better than... <sighs> Christados and uh, yeah, Colin Jump Shark, Brad Whitaker, and, well, maybe Whitaker. Yeah, Sanchez. Um, oh, Ben Well, maybe on level with Sanchez, I'll say <laughs> Sanchez was a bit over the top. But yeah, either way, I like that Colin's his character. I like that his character. Canadian flag toilet paper at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> Jeannie Bouchard will never give you a second look if you are using that. Hey, at least I can go look at her. <laughs> um, but Creepy. I like the final moment that we have with Green where you see he's kind of cowardly in the end and he's kind of whimpering and his voice is quivering and he's scared and 
it's a nice way to end off on his character so that he's not completely forgettable like Largo or some of those others. Uh, and then the final scene with Yusef, this is one scene I think is very important in the movie. And again, this is the this is only the third time we've had a mention of Vesper in the entire movie. So it's not the whole movie revolves around it, but I like that they tied it into that. And you have a Canadian Bond girl played by a Canadian actress. The only other Canadian actress in these movies is Lois Maxwell. And, you know, she was long removed from living in Canada. So that's cool. And you don't even realize it because she doesn't look anything like she does on Castle, but she's gone on to become very successful. So her one line in a Bond movie paid off. Hooray. Uh, but this is what I want to say about Strawberry Fields. The character is interesting. And the fact that she dies, I think is important for this reason. I never really realized until just this time of watching it, but Yusef is supposed to be the parallel of Bond. And this is why Bond doesn't kill him in the end because of that line M says earlier on when Strawberry's dead, these women, they'll just do anything for you. And that's exactly the same thing with Yusef. That's what he does for a living. And Bond goes on from this point to use that same thing. with women. He uses women the same way to get what he wants, but he just realized he doesn't want to cross that line, which is why I think he doesn't kill him. So the one moment in the movie where the subtext wasn't buried beneath this quick editing where I think a message came across fairly decently is the fact that Bond and Yusuf are the same person just handling it differently. And it's a really nice moment. I, I, I'm going to back up what I said at the beginning too. The gun barrel on the end, they kind of needed it here. I, I would have liked to have had a gun barrel in the beginning, but you can't end off with Bond walking slowly into the snow you need some type of dynamic way of ending the movie, and they're not going to have Bond sleeping with the Bond girl. Have so Dent spontaneously combust. <laughs> <laughs> that would please Colin to no end. He would be standing ovation. You find out that M is the real villain. Call back to Diamonds Are Forever. Another callback. Gives M a wedgie. Throws her off the cliff. <laughs> the end of the movie. Quantum of Solace. We need a list. Top ten ways they should have ended Quantum of Solace. <laughs> but it, it, just based on the ending they have, which again is their mistake for not coming up with a better ending, they come up with a much better one in the next one that doesn't involve Bond sleeping with a woman. The mistake in this one's made up for by the fact that at least we have a gun barrel period. Um... That's an interesting point on the fields thing, but at the same time, alternate reality. Um, I try not to dwell on this climax pretty much because I hate it. Um, <laughs> yeah, you you guys have just summed it up. Like uh, anything I say will just sound even more and more negative. But I agree, cool location, as in like cool set and everything. But no one really thought that through. Hotel in the middle of nowhere, like. Like, no one, like, well, maybe there are things in Bolivia. Maybe we shouldn't jump the gun. It could be an actual thing. But Ice boxes in Iceland. Sand yeah. <laughs> yeah, it should have been a sand palace. Jabba's palace. That would <laughs> be. That's why the sand dunes were getting so much hate earlier on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, again, this movie was definitely missing a Sarlacc. But, yeah... One thing I don't, and part of this comes from, oh, Bond is going rogue once again. One thing that Craigs are missing is at least there have been multiple opportunities to have an, an army of guys versus an army of bad guys like the good old days. This would be the perfect 
perfect perfect <laughs> opportunity <laughs> to have um an army of MI6 agents, although probably half of them are Spectre, but anyway, um, heading into this, storming this ice, I mean, snow, um, sand, hut thing, and having a big war. If not here, then I think they could have made that work in Spectre, Spectre, Spectre. So that would have definitely made the climax a bit more exciting. I'm sick of just Bond takes on an entire army. And Green, I think it works that he's a bit of a wimp. But then if you've got a wimp um, villain, then you need a brute henchman. And Elvis is just the worst thing ever to appear on film. Um, Green's death, I really like. It's a pretty memorable moment, Bond leaving him in the desert with some oil. Pretty careless on Bond's behalf, considering, like, what if they just flew in and picked Greed up? Or, like, I know there is a line, like, you've betrayed them or whatever it was. They're not going to help you. But this, this place has a freaking bus. The bus could have been taking a tour to the hotel and taking some uh, tourists to the hotel and picked Green up. Like, it's an awesome scene leaving him in the desert, but... Daniel Craig is such a murderous prick throughout this film that he should have just shot him. Like, I know maybe he wants him to feel tortured. It is, yeah, it is more murderous for him to leave him, I think. It it is more, but it's also risky. He, like, the tourist bus stopping by, picking him up. Like, why leave that risk? Um, Like he says, oh, we're in the middle of nowhere. No one will come for you. There's a freaking hotel in the middle of nowhere there. And you think maybe someone's going to come with a fire engine or something after they see the freaking hotels exploded. You think maybe the uh, authorities may check that out or something? Um, nitpicking, nitpicking, nitpicking. But it's an awesome thing to leave him. Like, it's very cold. It's um, pretty cool. The ending bit, I really like it. It kind of puts the closure to the whole Cinderella, Condomisolus, Vespa thing. And that way it really works in Skyfall that they didn't dwell on it again. So I, I like that kind of closure to it. Still don't think they needed a gun barrel here. I think they could have had the ending of a fade to black or something. It would be a bit of a downer moment to end it on. But, yeah. Other than that, Yusuf is a scumbag. Um, not the peace train guy. The other one, Vespers X. Um, yeah, Canadian. Woo! Um, Woo! That's the Australian. Um, do we have an Australian? George Lazenby. <laughs> Good point, Ben. <laughs> it's late. It's very late. So, yeah. Mare climax. Actually, not even mare. Terrible climax. Shootout. Some cool moments in there. I also don't like how Judy just, at the end, explains anything they couldn't fit in the film. Oh, yeah, this happened to Green. Oh, yeah, this happened to Felix. Oh, yeah, this happened to this and this and this. It's just (laughs) Judy Dench solely exists to wrap up the film because they ran out of time, script, or money to do so. But anyway, it's kind of... I don't mind the snow snuff. That's kind of a cool ending. And it parallels the snow at the start of Casino Royale as well. So it's nice uh, parallels there and a good wrap-up of this two-film kind of arc they've got going. So that's Quantum of Solace. 
Yay. Um, so <laughs> we are going to get now into some final bits and pieces uh, of this episode, as we do with every single one, by, first of all, starting off with... Mr. Kiss, Kiss, Otherwise known as Mr. Kissy Kissy Suzuki Bang Bang. Um, now, um, let's start off with the one that I hope we all are going to get. Bonds, James Bonds. Zero. Zero. Cool. Um, the... And it's the first time since... When was the last time there was no Bond, James Bonds? Oh, it's been a long time. Um, I don't have that information. 60s? On yes, let's say uh... that. Uh, yeah. um, quickly go back through our articles and look um, Martini <laughs> Now if we're not counting the six that he mentions in passing Do we only have the one? Yeah Yeah although I'm just I'm not going to argue that But we let a fan who write a, wrote into us <laughs> Convince us that Living Daylight's Martini sitting on the other side of the room Was counted as one So Don't be mean One with a disclaimer fan. Yeah um, Fox one <laughs> Yes. Wow, this is the lowest sex he's gotten in a long time, since the Although, 80s. <laughs> we know that after Mathis died, he went back and he got his hands all over Gemma's body, just like she was asking. <laughs> um, and I'm not confident on this one at all. Um, 16, I've got. For kills? I didn't count yes. mine. Hold on. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> we go back and quickly we watch the movie. Um, we'll just wait. Uh... Nine. I got 15, but there is two... Well, there's one that I didn't include and one that I was questioning, so I don't know if we want to go over them. We'll see what Noel gets first, I guess. <laughs> well, I have... Um, and Ben will be happy here, but I need a disclaimer for mine. I have 16. Um, but I forgot to do it, and literally before we got on the call, I googled, how many people does James Bond kill in Quantum of Solace? <laughs> And the number was 16. So if you asked me to name them, I couldn't. So wow. I didn't know. Well, I, I can really quickly go through mine here. I'll sure. go through the, the questionable ones, just see if you guys included it. One of well, the questionable ones that I didn't include, which would have put me at 16, was in the car chase in the beginning, I had two, but there's actually one car that crashes by mm. chasing Bond. And I didn't I include can't. that just because Bond didn't do it. But the I same question that. comes up. Yeah, because the same question comes up later on when there's the plane chase, mm. and one of the pilots is chasing them, and he crashes, and I don't know if that's included. I included I that both. one, but not. So if I, I include 16. both, I would have 16 as well. 16. Um, Let's go with Google. Yes. Uh, the, I think we, I can agree on that. We can all agree on that. And we have a large number here, and we're agreeing on it. This is amazing. This is like the first time in the history of anything that I've had my number agreed with. Like, fuck. <laughs> what's going on thank you quantum of solace um <laughs> well it's funnily enough 16 brings us to exactly 300 wow yes perfect number what um, an asshole abusing that license so what to 300 kills 55 roots 21 martinis and 24 Bonds, James Bonds. Um, all right, let's. I should point out what just before we move on. Point out one more thing that, considering this movie, and we can count the shorter running time, so it does count for a bit more. But this is the movie where Bond is a killing machine, where he just kills everything crosses path. That's only one more kill than we had in Casino Royale. 
Mm. We had 40 extra minutes in Casino Royale, but one kill more, it's not that much more murderous than this. Brosnan had killed like 717. (laughs) That's right. Although it is in the timeline of like a week. So it is a lot of kills. Yeah. 31 kills in a week and a half. (laughs) Well, how long was Goldeneye? Like over three days? God, Brosnan. Um, Actually, no, seven years to be precise, Ben. But anyway. um, (laughs) (laughs) You didn't kill anybody. Bad example. Um, (laughs) Speaking of stupid idiots, let's go into... Box office. And Peter Travers, he is a stupid idiot. But don't read his stuff. Travers, guy. Can we skip um, this segment? Well, you can. Um, let's first of all go to Peter Travers. Hi, Peter. Mm. Quantum of Solace that comes in at number 24. Um, oh, oh now, really? This is pre-Spectre, so of course, remember, he counted Never Say Never Again. Yes, Ben, he did count Never Say Never Again. So, um, he has this dead last. Um, his write-up says, after Daniel Craig created a terrific millennial bond in Casino Royale, this fiasco of a follow-up damn near left him for dead. Even the new theme song, Another Way to Die, sung by Jack White and Alicia Keys, sucks. Fans <laughs> were rightfully pissed off until Skyfall rose to the rescue. Is, Blame Mark Forster, an indie director with no flair for action, for absurdly overcompensating. Bond comes down with a serious case of Jason Bourne penis envy, leaping across <laughs> rooftops from Bolivia to Haiti to shut down an agency of traitorous MI6 agents. Uh, they're not all MI6 agents. Um, <laughs> losing itself. He's really in- getting hung up on Mitchell there, Peter. Incoherent flash. Quantum ignores the poison eating at Bond's inside. It's killer mistake. Dun, dun, dun. Um, and wow. box office did become the most successful James Bond film at the time. It made approximately $900,000 more than Casino Royale, $168,368.420, whatever. Um, at the time of recording this, it is the third highest grossing Bond film. Spectre, Spectre uh, is just is $30 million ahead of it, and Skyfall is a shitload ahead of it. Um, and if you adjust it for inflation, it is in 13th place, just below Goldeneye and just ahead of Spectre, Spectre, Spectre. Um, I'm going to just quickly say Peter Travers is backing up exactly what I said because his complaint says following Casino Royale. Why doesn't anybody try to say if this if they want to say this is the worst Bond movie ever try to say, well, compared to Die Another Day and License to Kill, because they can. Nobody complains about this. Likes- the only reason anybody ever says this is bad is because of the movies that follow it. I'm done. That Move is on. not the only reason this film is bad. Let's just clear. Well, that. I would love to hear somebody try to defend this or try to criticize this versus Die Another Day. Uh, well, <laughs> that would be a hard time because they're both shit. Well, I can't wait to find out where we're putting it soon. Uh, before we get to that, let's go into the whole thing. It's the hole, the hole with the classic scenes. Um, I don't know why I said it like that. Um, this, is, this is hard. Um, I, think, I think that there's at least three pretty well, decent we, choices here. Can we just preface it and say none of these are in the all-time greatest hall of fame. It's no. relative to this film. I think that at least one of them is. I think maybe even two of them, because I have I have two good suggestions for sure here, and then it's one that's... just freaking Bean in here. All right, opera it's scene, not Beam, okay? <laughs> opera scene, I think, surely, is one we're all going to yeah, agree. Yeah, we all agree on that. Yeah. And I would say Mathis' death as well. 
Uh, yeah, got nothing else. So. <laughs> I'm happy I think, to go with it. <laughs> I think Green's there. That's really oh. iconic. Well, that was the third one I was going to put up. Him basically casting oh, Green. Fucking into- Green in our Hall of Fame. <laughs> We've got <laughs> Bambi and Bumper. Yeah, Bambi and Green. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> um, I think it's really iconic. The here have this oil and you'll make it blah 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 before you try and drink it. And- I think those Ben, I'll happily not have it if you can tell me one other frickin' seat <laughs> in this film. Strawberry Fields. Yeah, but I, that's very good. I, could, I like the hotel bit. Strawberry Fields. <laughs> I'd rather sleep in the morgue. Uh, <laughs> I right. think the death First are two. I think those three are good. Green. Whatever. All right. Um, let's Get move into our. <laughs> Rankings, baby. Rankings. Um, Rankings, baby. <laughs> I generally like to go last, but I'm going to... I'll just suck it up and I'll go now. Um, yes, yeah, it was interesting. I kind of went into this thinking that this would be like in my bottom two or three... Um, But then I'm watching it, I was like, well, it's not as bad as the last time I watched it. And then talking through this, though, I'm kind of like, well, it is kind of shit. Um, But I'm just kind of looking at this bottom sort of eight, and I'm thinking, well, where does it fit into that? (laughs) Um, It's not worse than Moonraker. Um, It is. um, It's not... Oh... Yeah, no. Look, I'm going to put it... Um, okay, I'm going to move it down from where I originally was going to put it. I originally was going to put it in 16th place, but I'm going to now put it in 19th place below Dr. No. Um, so I've got it between Dr. No and Octopussy. So 19th. And your bottom... So then your bottom ones are what? Thunderball? Uh, so Moonrake is bottom, Live and Let Die, Thunderball, uh, Octopussy, then Quantum of Solace. Okay. I thought you liked Dr. Pussy. Well, I mean, it's it was there. Uh, <laughs> All right, let's not get into that. We could talk about that off. <laughs> <laughs> yes, so um, Dr. No wins mm. the day. <laughs> yeah. Well, mine has changed too. And going into this, I think I had a bit of a different reaction from you where I was willing to defend it a little bit more than I did on this. And I never considered this to be a great movie. I always considered it to be like the middle middle of the road bond um previously i would have put this at least at this point just inside my top 10 but the the editing messes up so much about this movie and i I think i'm always forgiving because there are so many interesting things in this movie quantum is an interesting organization uh strawberry fields Gemma, mathis beam i love those characters there's really nothing great to talk about Bond in this movie. There's a little bit of interesting about Camille. Green has one good moment at the end of the movie. I I can't look past the fact that the things they put the most effort into, they failed on, and the things they put the littlest effort into succeeded. So this is going to drop a lot. I'm still going to have it higher than Ben, I think. Uh, uh, I'm I'm looking right now, and I, I think I'm pretty much at the same level as you are, Ben. I can't put it lower than Moonraker. But I don't think I could put it higher than Live and Let Die. So this will then end up at number, I believe that's 14 for me. 
just in between, just below Live and Let Die, just ahead of Moonraker, Man with the Golden Gun, Living Daylights. Can you just spell out all the ones that are below Quantum of Solace? Uh, Moonraker, Man with the Golden Gun, which, if we can revise these at some point, Man with the Golden Gun may move up. Uh, Living Daylights, View to a Kill, You Only Live Twice, Diamonds Are Forever, Die Another Day, License to Kill. Is it my turn? (laughs) No, it's my turn again. Yes, it's your turn. (laughs) Peter's turn. Uh, Last. Wow, really? Oh, come on. Really? Down without a question. Yes, Die Another Day is not lasting. Oh, hands down. Yes. Um, I'm so happy. Condom of Solace is a better movie than Die Another Day, so don't get too happy. Um, I am happy. It's a weird I'm, it's a I'm looking at a picture day. of Verity on your Skype and makes me want to punch myself. But, um, <laughs> I'm going to punch you. I'm going to fly all the way to Snug. You just put so it up punch- four teeth. You put it in below Die Another Day and License to Kill. Ben put License to Kill at four, so don't get at me. Hey, License to Kill seven. Mission in Invisible Car? Um, as we've kind of established, I put Diamonds Are Forever at fourth, and clearly a lot of these are better films than Diamonds Are Forever. So it was a toss-up between this and Die Another Day, and I have a more fun time watching Die Another Day because Quantum of Solace just frustrates me. I forgot these best of rankings aren't ranking the best films, apparently. (laughs) Well, they're personal rankings. It's it's not a combined... It's, it's not an objective rank, uh, su- subjective ranking where we're all combining our thoughts to what is the greatest made film. It's the personal rankings. That's why we all have our own. And You are dead to me. <laughs> ben has license to kill in his top ten along with Die Another Day. Don't talk but about I don't yeah, expect I do. any better out of Ben. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> uh, room, guys. Just letting Ooh. you know, I'm still here. Um, <laughs> Ooh, um, haven't gone anywhere. Uh, I have a more fun time watching Die Another Day. That's the only thing that pushes it up. It's not a better film, better made film, I guess, but it doesn't frustrate me as much as Quantum of Solace because Quantum of Solace had so much potential. Die Another Day was a lost cause from the beginning. Um, it has freaking Madonna cameo cameoing in it. Um, yeah, it does. Again, I can agree. This is where you said leading into this episode, we're going to be agreeing, but having different point of views, because that's exactly the point I made, that this had a lot of potential that was buried. And so I can understand that point of view. But seriously, tie another day. <laughs> <laughs> Just to wrap up, this is not even a bond. License to Kill is more than a bond, more bond than this. Um, and I unapologetically put it last. I know there's people... Oh no, it's bad, but you can't put it last. It is the worst James Bond film. Um, and I've seen this maybe eight times, and it gets worse and worse and worse every time. And today was just my boiling point watching it that I don't know when I'll ever watch this film again because it just frustrates me so much. I mean, Fields was good, and there were a few funny bits. That's it. It's it's not a good film. Um, it. It really is. Even I said Dino the Day was the worst made film. This is still in the bottom five of just being objective about it. Um, it sucks. I am not a fan of Condom of Solace. People are kind of turning around on it, thinking it's better than it really was. 
I don't think so. So I'm sorry for being such a Scrooge this episode, but no, this is the worst James Bond film. Um, so yeah, Skyfall Inspector will not be below this. This is I, my bottom. I didn't really um, hear my final thought. You don't need to hear my final thoughts on the film. We're going <laughs> along two and a half. It's, it's kind of strange looking at this this ranking list right now, thinking we've only got two more to add. Well, at least at the time of recording this, anyway. Um, you know, but well, I, I this, feel like, like we've both probably got our bottom. Our, all, all three of us probably have our bottom ones, right? I mm-hmm. am all, but I, I reckon I've got my my below bottom ten is locked in. I reckon. I, I, so your bottom ten? No, my bottom twelve. I think are, are pretty much locked in. Um, what is your bottom one? Moonraker, and that's never. And what's your bottom one, Colin? Die another day? No. License? Do I have license to kill? Yeah, yeah. license to kill. Oh, can I, just, I just want to just, just take this brief moment in time. I'm staring at this list right now, and Die Another Day is not at the bottom of anybody's list. That is a win for Die Another Day. So I'm pretty sure it's close to the average one. bottom. <laughs> <laughs> I don't mind if mine is last. I would not be upset if you switched squat to move Die Another Day. It's not like it's a big competition here. I think we might be uh, coming to some sort of agreement that eventually we might get allowed to do a couple of switches or something. I don't know. We've worked out some plan. We'll get to that. Um, oh, right. We've given him false hope that maybe Dino they will move up in the rankings. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, speaking of switches, Dino of the Day last. <laughs> <laughs> so we now... I've really come around on Quantum of Solace in the past <laughs> We have now a four-year gap uh, between Bond films, not between us recording episodes. Um, <laughs> the the next film we are talking about will be, of course, um, a film that, well, I guess in the grand scheme of Bond things, um, really brought Bond into a whole new stratosphere. It um, box office killed it, still to this day, number one. Yes, we've only had one film since it, but... Spectre really hasn't come close to even matching Skyfall. Um, critically acclaimed, um, won an Oscar for its song. The song, just so much about this film, just really shot Bond right back into pop culture and everything. Um, 50th anniversary, um, and there's just so much about this film that I'm sure we're going to talk about. Um, and look, I, I've said it before on this show. Uh, I saw this film, and I just could not stop thinking about it. It was—it's a unique Bond film. I mean, we, we've argued in this episode that it's that Quantum of Solace is not very Bond-like. I, I know on kind of a—I've actually only ever seen Skyfall twice. I will say that, and on my second viewing of it, there, there's a lot of parts of this film. It's—it's it's real hipster art house Bond. There are lots of parts of this film that aren't James Bond you know, tropes or anything to do with it. But having said that, there's just so much about this film that I personally love. It's just, it's such a strange, unique James Bond film that just, it's, it's, it's kind of like, I, he's been with his great metaphors or whatever, again, his explanations. Like, it's kind of like when you meet a girl and you just can't explain why you're attracted to her and there's just a connection to that person and you just want to talk to them. You want to get to know them and you're just so attracted to them, you can't understand why. This is Skyfall for me because if I analyse this film, there's so much about this film that I don't like. But it has one of the greatest villains in the history of James Bond it is just such an amazingly shot film, even though it's a bit arty-farty and hipstery. And it's got a great song, even though I hate Adele. Uh, they're just, yeah, 
I, I'm really, really, really looking forward to talking about this because for such a long time, this was the newest James Bond film. Before we started recording this, this was the newest James Bond film. So it's so fresh in all of our minds. And there's a lot to talk about with this. So, yeah, I'm, I'm very much looking forward to talking about Skyfall. And I'm all for the metaphors. And I think Skyfall is kind of like sand. It's coarse, it's rough, it gets everywhere. <laughs> Just like the lake on Naboo. Um, <laughs> No, the... But it's not your father, though. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I don't... I don't think that... And we're going to have that many disagreements. It's funny, we just spent three and a half hours talking about Quantum of Solace, which is half the length of what we just spent discussing it, uh, and all of us thought this would be the shortest episode ever. I think part of that's because there are some things to argue on this, and I don't know if we're going to have as much to argue on Skyfall. Um I think there's really only two types of Bond fans when it comes to Skyfall. There's those who think it's the greatest Bond movie of all time, and those who think it's one of the greatest Bond movies of all time. This is kind of GoldenEye, The Spy Who Loved Me. It's the Bond movie that revitalized the series that nobody can say is bad. And uh, you talk about some of the artsy stuff in there. I mean, bringing Sam Mendes in was, I think, a brilliant idea to bring in this really respectable director, an Oscar-winning director, somebody you'd never expect to do a Bond movie, and he just knocks it right out of the park, way better than Mark Forster. Um, the villain, I might go as far, we're going to do a villain's episode, but going into this, uh, I'd say coming out of Skyfall, there were two things that I said that I never thought I'd hear myself say. I said, I think that's the greatest Bond theme of all time for Adele Song, and I think that that's the greatest Bond villain of all time, and I didn't think any new Bond movie could reach that level of being the greatest ever, and Silva is so good, and I can't wait to rewatch this, and one of these days I'll have to watch this back-to-back with Goldeneye and Man with the Golden Gun to see if he really does hold up against those others, because you could strip everything out of this movie and just have Silva, and it's one of the greatest Bond movies of all time, but there's so much else going on. Daniel Craig is just amazing in this movie, uh, Judy Dench is this mm. is the perfect send off for her. Uh, <laughs> the movie's climax doesn't need a brilliant location. It's just so epic and so dramatic. And this is Bond. There's a reason why it won multiple Oscars because this is Bond as art. This is not just a cheap action film like we just had with Cassie, or Quantum of Solace. Uh, this movie's amazing. I don't know where it'll end up in my rankings, but it's just gonna be gushing all over this movie. Um. Yeah, I I love it. Uh, well, I like it a lot. Um, it's the kind of film that every time I watch, I think it lowers a bit for me. And I'm not saying I'm going to have it in my bottom five or anything like that. But you just pick up on things every time you watch, and it's like, eh, 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 eh. But they do a lot of good things here. Um. It was really next level. I think the four-year break was something that was a, a good thing, even though it was really annoying for us fans. It was probably the best thing that could happen. I remember coming out of it slightly disappointed only because I was expecting not a die another day, like with all the references, but with the 50th anniversary thing, I was expecting maybe more of a return to form with the... Lots of Bond, James Bonds, lots of uses of the themes and the martini and a proper Bond girl and all that, which we didn't get. So I was kind of came out just because my expectations were not met. 
But at the same time, I think it was really clever what they did do with the 50th one, and they did set it up for what I just mentioned, even though Spectre doesn't really completely live up to that. But um, So a lot of clever things done here. I think there's some bad lines like, I'm Eve, Eve Moneypenny. But just the way they introduced Moneypenny, the new M, and uh, Ben Wishaw Q, mm-hmm. I just think... It's a great way of introducing the new team to set them up for Spectre, Spectre, Spectre. And um, Silver is not my favourite villain, I'll just say that now, but he is great, and it's great return to form for a over-the-top, campy, almost villain. Um, so, yeah, excited to talk about this one, excited to watch it after seeing Spectre, although that didn't really affect Quantum at all. Um, and also excited to see if... Putting on my thinking cap, if I could ever use that, and real analysis mode, whether or not it will lower even more, like I say it does every time I watch it. Or maybe it will make it go up. But I can't wait for Skyfall just because it's going to be a fun one and I won't be as grumpy as I was in this one. Um, I just want to point out uh, one thing, Silver, and I'm going to talk about this a lot in the episode. I stand by the fact that this is the only James Bond movie in the history of James Bond films where the villain succeeds in their plan. So, yeah. um, <laughs> I, I, I kind of think that's what makes Silver so good. <laughs> Except, hey, he wins. So, he dies. I think if but, you die, it doesn't really count. Well, suicide bombers. Like, whatever. Um... I'm not touching that Didn't one. Suicide, suicide, bombers suicide, suicide bombers win bomber. in the end. You heard it here on 007. Suicide pays off. <laughs> Just ignore oh. me. I like Die Another Day. Luckily, uh, no one's <laughs> going to be listening to Quantum of Solace episode anyway. So. We're safe. <laughs> Thank you to everybody tuning in. 007.wordpress.com. We're still too cheap to buy an actual domain name. Um, head Sponsor there. us. Check out all our other episodes. Subscribe to us on iTunes. Remember, you can email us at new thing called email. Um, I think we're up to about 28 likes on Facebook now. So um, <laughs> We've made it. Don't know how many of the other Australian James Bond podcast has, but it's probably more than 28. They um, had that in the first day. Um, Twitter also. We're getting Actually, we're getting some good response on Twitter, I will say. We shouldn't joke um, about... Um, <laughs> One private message. <laughs> we've started to get private messages. So, um, <laughs> we've uh, made Big shout out to Emerald Green on Twitter. Thank you, Emerald. Um, you made my day when I actually realised that people have gone out of their way to talk to us. Um, so thank you very much. Uh, and to Catherine and to Linda and to all the other fan that are out the there listening. The person that we bagged. Martin. Martin. <laughs> We're literally naming the 28 likes. <laughs> We've got so many fans, we can Alden name them. Hilding, Noah Groves. <laughs> Ben Waterworth. Um, thank you. And um, yeah, and also check out our best ofs. If you can't be bothered listening to three hours worth of this shit, um, listen to two hours and we condense a lot of it together. Thank you to Colin for putting those together as well. Great effort. Uh, but in closing, my name is Ben and. Check what? And I'm Colin, and if you were dragged down by the depression this episode, we apologize. Quantum Assaults was a dead end. (laughs) My name's Noah, and insert line about the florist, because it was one of the only funny bits in the film. Good night. And 
uh, just a reminder, if you did miss out the spoiler from before... You know, you should just answer CIA, Felix. Taxi driver told me where the office was. Hello, Mitchell. Bond? Thanks, Mitchell. Craig Mitchell worked for me for eight years. Five is my personal bodyguard. I found this and three other bloody Christmas presents I bought him about the house. That wasn't very nice. Tell us Slate was a dead end. Slate was a dead end. Damn it, he killed him. What's today's excuse? That Bond is legally blind? Name check. Dominic Green. Might need a little more than that. There are a lot of Dominic Greens. We have no interest in Mr. Green. Please, my friends call me Dominic. I'm sure they do. I promised him the sheep and they got the sheep. They got his body. He wanted his soul. They should have made a deal with the priest. You really don't know anything about it. The first thing you should know about us is that we have people everywhere. When someone says we've got people everywhere, you expect it to be hyperbole. Lots of people say that. Florists use that expression. It doesn't mean that they've got somebody working for them inside the bloody room. Get in. Get in. Get in. I said get in. Come with me if you want to live. I think she has handcuffs. Do you hope so? Mr. Bond, my name is Field. Miss Fields. Of course you are. Fields. Just Fields. I can't find the, um, the stationery. Can help me look? <laughs> so what's your interest in Green? Well, amongst other things, he tried to kill a friend of mine. Your mother? She likes to think so. You know who Green is and you want to put us in bed with him. You aren't kidding, right? Yeah, you're right. We should just deal with nice people. Oh, you see, that's what I like about U.S. intelligence. You'll lie down with anybody, including you, brother. Including you. Shame because she's really quite stunning once you get her on her back. I wish I could say the feeling is mutual. Got offense? No, not in the slightest. We are teachers on sabbatical. This fits our cover. No, it doesn't. I think someone wants to kill you. I'd rather stay in a morgue. Those orders include my friend Mathis. I'm sorry, I don't know who you are. You see that? Gone such a short time. Already forgotten. Is Mathis your killer name? Yes. Not a very good one, is it? Uh, you're just saying that to hurt me. Oh, oh my gosh! Oh, oh. I'm so sorry! <laughs> <laughs> uh.